0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. You can check out their new commerce solution so you can start selling stuff immediately. If you'd like a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, just head over to squarespace.com twip and use the offer code twip4. this week on TWiP, imitating versus originating, our critique of the week segment, an off-the-rails discussion about all things photography, plus a separate interview with Mr. Matt Granger, that Nikon guy, at the end of the show. All that and more coming up your way next on this episode of This Week in Photo. And welcome back to TWiP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about... Imitating versus originating. A photographer busts a thief trying to sell his camera on Craigslist. He gets the Darwin Award. And there's a new app that sells your Facebook photos without <laughs> your permission or your knowledge. Plus, we're going to have a critique of the week and listener Q&A and a pick of the week. So joining me to discuss this is uh, Jeffrey Totaro and a new face to the TWIP hosting crew here, Mr. Jared Frohno's photo Poland. Jared. Yes. (laughs) I'm going to start with you. Welcome to the show, first of all. Thanks for having me back to back. I know, back to back. You were in episode 300. Thank you for showing up and doing that crazy interview with me. That was awesome. And uh, now you're here again, uh, sitting on the hot seat. So tell me about, for the folks that didn't see the interview, who's Jared and who's Fro? And why are you called Fro Nose Photo?
1: I'm Jared. I am, I am Photo because that is the website I came up with uh, once the hair started to grow and I needed uh, to come up with a site name and Photo came to mind and I didn't ask anybody what they thought and I just did it. But okay. basically the site, it's about making fun and inform- fun and informative content uh, that people like watching. So it's kind of like infotainment. Uh, it's not just straight up tech talk. It's, it's enjoyable to watch and you can learn something, Mr. Rogers style.
0: Yeah, not exactly or, Mr. Rogers style. I'm sorry. Or in,
1: in your style, Mr. Robinson style. There you go. Yeah, Mr. Robinson's <laughs> neighborhood.
0: For those folks that are old enough to know who Mr. Robinson is. <laughs> all right, so your your site is froknowsphoto.com, and you do all that stuff. But you're also doing a bunch of other stuff like workshops, and and you have a store, and you sell this kind of stuff in the store. This is what I have. Thank you for sending this over, by the way. look at that. You're welcome. Look at that Fro Nation with a nikon on the front of it, thank you very much so how's a, all that, uh,
1: yeah. how's all that stuff going? Uh, that stuff's good I mean that it's part of you know building the community and um, you know the shirts definitely help keep the site going, and they did since day one actually day ten is when i I think a week into it I launched my first shirt, and now I think we have twenty different designs or so or different versions or variations, but it really helps keep everything going, uh, the boot camps, which I have the 2013 Fronus Photo Boot Camp Tour, we're just seeding that out there now. We'll see how it works. Um, yeah. yeah. We'll see how it works.
0: Love it. Well, congratulations, and welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you being here. Thanks. All right, and also on the lineup here is Mr. Jeffrey Tataro. Hey, Jeffrey, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well, Frederick. Good to see you. Good to see you uh, as well. But yeah, fun I found that actually do this visually now.
0: I know, I know. Yeah. Through the magic of Hangouts, once we get the Hangout going, things tend to work. It's that, that first part <laughs> that's yeah. a little tricky. So, so just, a, just a quick synopsis of who you are and the kind of photography that you uh-huh. do for the audience that may not be introduced to you.
2: Sure, sure, sure. Um, I'm an architectural photographer working out of the Philadelphia area. Um, and I uh, used to be an architect and engineer, and then I got into the photography side of it and um, been enjoying it. I shoot with um, medium format digital. Uh, which I really enjoyed. I shoot with, uh, which one? Phase, phase, uh, phase 1. Right now I'm shooting with a Phase 1 P45+. Plus. Sorry, uh, Frederick, I have to interrupt on occasion. You, I, you, I, I, expect,
1: I expect
0: nothing left from
1: you, Jerry. <laughs> well, I want you to explain to everybody who was supposed to be on, and they're not, not on. Sarah Colatin was supposed to
0: be <laughs> no, on. No, not her.
1: I like good-looking oh, women. Oh, Ken Rockwell. I asked for that specifically. I was part of my rider, and I didn't get my blue M. <laughs> m ms Yeah, blue blue
2: or green m ms right?
0: I'm working on putting you guys in the same space together, but, you know, it's like baking soda and vinegar. Sorry I
2: interrupted. I'll go back to being quiet. Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead, Jeffrey.
0: Architectural photography with a phase one.
2: Yeah, yeah, shoot with the medium format, Um, and um, I'm actually doing a, phase one just announced their new uh, IQ series 260 uh, digital back, 60 megapixel back, so I'm probably going to upgrade to that, and um, I'm going to be doing a... Uh, sort of a they call it the phase one world tour where they're sort of rolling these uh, new products out and I'm going to be participating in a, a presentation in New York on uh, April 24th uh, which I'm looking forward to. I have to get that presentation together but cool. um, and otherwise I, did, um, I do a yearly workshop down in Palm Beach uh, in February so we just did that um, I guess about a month and a half ago I uh, had a great group of people down there and so it's a five day workshop, it's a lot of fun um, it's just the hardest part is finding good locations to shoot but but I think we, uh, we had a good, good time this year.
0: Architectural so. photography. So medium format stuff. Let's, let's just mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit before we dive into the meat of the show. Sure. Jared, are, you're a Nikon shooter like me, and you're not – I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're, are you a medium format shooter? Have you ever shot medium format, either film or digital?
1: No, I touched – well, I touched a Bronica a couple times. <laughs> and, and, and threw off a couple of frames through a twelve rolls of a, you know twelve frame rolls of the uh, the one twenties. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I would love I would love to do it. My buddy Adam Lerner has a uh, I think he's picking up one of the new Hassies. Uh, I used his. Obviously, the autofocus is totally different. I'd love the challenge of trying to shoot a concert or my style of fo- uh, photos with a medium format. It would be kind of interesting to try that you know yeah. a lot of it is the landscapes a lot of it's the architecture and and the uh the studio but i'd I love the the challenge of picking mm-hmm. up one of those like uh big ass bodies and trying to use them but that it would be
0: just for the challenge because it's like it's a case of the right tool for the right job that is not the right tool for a concert you just be <laughs> you know let me see if i could get this this elephant through this needle right
1: <laughs> i i used to there was this lady that used to shoot at concerts with a uh a Mamiya six four five. Yeah, I used to look camera. at her. I, love those. I used to look at her and go, what the hell are you doing? You know, because this was like this four foot three lady who used to stand on her pelican to try to take pictures and I would look at and we just didn't get along. But I would love <laughs> just like what are you It's like you're it's not gonna work well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it yeah, medium format's got its uh it's got its place. I use it on a technical camera, which is you know always on a tripod. You can hand hold it. But you certainly won't be hand holding it in a uh, in a concert environment. So it's a uh, it's a diff- different way of working. Works well for me because I started in four by five film, and so that was uh that was always slow, deliberate process. And so working with this system is very very similar. I like to, to sort of slow down and and sort of make um, yeah. So oops, deliberate we, photography, right? There. When you let
0: me paint a little light into the corner here, I need a little flash here. Jared, you're you are the you're more of like a military style photojournalist when you're out there. Right? I mean, you're like oh, look, interesting an interesting shot. I mean, you get that and you have to have the presence of mind to get it rather yeah. than creating the scene, right? Which is just two different kinds.
1: Yeah, creating the scene is a, is not my forte. I mean, I can do it. I've done studio stuff and and I can do that all if I really wanted to, which I'd like to get into. What are you drinking? A piña colada. Anyway, um <laughs> my yeah, you're right. Military style squirrel. except I have the squirrel, <laughs> yeah, except I have the hair. I don't think they'd allow me in the military because I'm i um, I got the hair. Uh, but no, it, yeah. It, to me, it's about capturing the moment. It's anticipating the situation that's going on. Uh, to me, that that's what I love doing. When you capture that moment, when you get into it, you feel it, and you make it happen.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah,
1: I love, it. I love what, it. What's on your tripod there? What do you have on the on the legs behind you?
0: Oh, me? That's my new D7000. I don't have a 7100, but it has the lens that you have on your T-shirt here. It's the 24-70. 24-70, uh, yeah, with the lens on it. My favorite lens of all time. Love that lens. Nice.
1: Well, I mean, cool. what's on the tripod legs? Who makes that?
0: Oh, you know, I have no idea. I bought that from B&H in New York when I was there once. Those are, like, cushiony little
1: I know what things. they are. Yeah, yeah. They're just I know the
0: guy who camouflage. makes them. Yeah, He's I from
1: Philly. Well, I don't know. I, just,
0: I, got them, I got them so that when, you know, it's, it was the military guy in me. When you're, like, hiking around and the tripod is digging a notch in your shoulder, you put those things on and you're, you're good to go for at least another mile or two. Nice. So. So, cool stuff. All right, guys, let's dive into the show here. got I have a feeling we're not going to make it past story one, but <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try. So, the story, let me set it up. The story is imitating versus originating. Um, let me read this. So, photographer uh, Rodney Smith uh, basically was not happy with PDN or Photo District News after they ran a cover story featuring Cade Martin's use of HMI lights to shoot the Starbucks Tazo Tea campaign. So, basically... The, the gist of this, and we'll we 'll stick the link to this this image and this story in the show notes, but the gist is these images were shot using very similar techniques or and it 's arguable you know very similar techniques and the you know the, the the artist is crying foul, saying, "Hey, you copied my technique, come up with something different so I want to talk about that first. I want to throw it to you uh, Jeffrey. so when you mm-hmm. when you see something like this, you know the the whole idea of you know, the, the, the old adage of imitation is the sincerest form of flattery and there's nothing new under the sun and all that stuff comes up. Where do you fall on this when a photographer says, hey, look at that shot and I'm going to base my shot on that shot? Is that plagiarism or is that you're, is that you're just creating art from an idea that's in your head?
3: Well the, the
2: take uh I, I I got from this was uh it, if if the Starbucks people came to them and said, Hey look, we want to do a shot like this, but we don't want to hire that guy, so why don't you do a shot like this? Yeah, you know, that that's that's when you want to cry foul. Uh because that's uh there are there are cases where that's been upheld in court that you know you can't you can't deliberately copy somebody else's work. That is an actual violation of copyright if it's if it's copied to the letter. And uh, in, in, in this case, you know, they're they're saying that they didn't know or they hadn't seen the work. And although it seems hard to believe that they hadn't seen it, it's very very similar. Yeah. Uh, but I guess it it really comes down to like I thought of the example too. Like if you're if you're someone wants to buy a stock image from you, uh, and your price is too high, and then they solicit somebody else to pho- to take that same photograph, you know, that's that's definitely a violation of copyright and, and just not ethically correct. Uh, but had, had they not uh, shown that photograph to another photographer and just visually described, we want something like this or something like that, and he well, came up with uh, with that, then...
0: I, know, don't See, I, I, I don't know. See, so I don't know. I look at it because, you know, when I teach photography, I always say, you know, you want to be inspired by something. I mean, not copy it. You're not going to go this... find a Jared image and copy it and then... You know, But you want to say, hey, I want to I want to see if I can't recreate this shot and and go through the steps to try to
1: recreate it, putting your own spin on it. Go ahead, Jerry. So, what so well, I mean, I'm looking at because earlier when I looked at the show notes and I looked, I only saw the image on the right, the girl mm-hmm. with the teapot on her head, right? Yes. That's the original? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that's the original. What the f*** is the difference between – seriously, can I curse on this show? Because go ahead. This, this is bullshit. You've done it before, Jerry. Right. <laughs> well, I never said fuck on the show before. I usually <laughs> now, don't say. Now you I have. Don't, well, it's rated <laughs> R because I said it twice. But looking at this picture on the left, they're two different freaking pictures. One, she's sitting on stairs. The lights are totally different. I, But they're talking about
0: the HMI with the streaming lights coming through the the mist and all that.
1: Okay, so when you go into Central the the station in New York, the Grand Central Station, and the lights are coming in through the window, and somebody took a picture there in 19, whenever the hell that was built, and somebody takes it in 2013, is that copyright infringement? It's a different freaking photo. So what if you say, I like this technique of the lights coming in through the window? Well, so what? You you don't own the, the, the license to light. But
0: you yes. may, okay, what is, does devil's advocate? Does he have a leg to stand on, the photographer? Because there's a girl sitting down with a teapot in her hand, with a dress on, with light streaming in, with teapots around her. It's similar, uh, kind of in a circle. You know, it's yeah, similar, it's,
1: but no, it's like I wrote in the show notes. Look at music. I've been in many of many of studios with bands laying down tracks where. You don't want to copy somebody else, and you hear the producer go, "Whoa, that sounds too much like X." We need to switch it a little bit and change something. I mean, are we going to go to Vanilla Ice? If you, you know, you want to take Vanilla Ice and Under Pressure, and you go, "Ding, da da ding, da, da ding ding," was Vanilla Ice, and mm-hmm. "Ding, da da ding, da, da ding ding" was Under Pressure. That right. was straight up stealing and ripping off, but they paid for it and it cost them millions. But this, to me, so what? You know, really, I—it's I, not an exact replica. You don't see the girl's feet. She's wearing a different dress. Yeah, the teapots are there. She's drinking it. It's not on her head. The light's different. The—the the, the building is different. It's like, oh, I saw this one day. I like that technique. Why don't I recreate? Right. It? It's totally yeah, I
0: agree. Different. I agree.
1: Now, Jeffrey, you well,
0: look yeah. at looking at this. Where where do you draw the line between inspiration and you know you're being inspired by the photograph on the left and creating the one on the right versus? plagiarizing like where where do you like in your work have you have you yeah. seen we've all done it i mean we look at mag. that's why i buy magazines because i'm like oh man that's amazing i want to try to do something like that you, you know, know what magazines i have
1: in the bathroom right now uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've got these vintage playboys does are it they, start with an h <laughs> are, are they no inspiring? no hustlers no hustlers yeah well they're very inspiring to the to the ladies i bring over but it's just they're 1970s Playboys—they're vintage. They're awesome sure. because every time I open up the the cover, I see another. Everybody who's anybody shoots a Minolta. You know, there's yeah. unbelievable ads in it. I'm not just looking at it for the the '70s bush and all. It's about the <laughs> it's the ads and the photos are fantastic. But anyway, I'll let you get back to asking the question that I interrupted.
0: Um, you are coming on the show every week, man. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> no, so so back to reality, Jeffrey. Where do you draw uh, the line? I mean, where do you draw the line between you know inspiration? Well,
2: well, a couple of things I, I recently um, I, I photographed a, a project in Philadelphia uh, for a designer, and then a local magazine wanted to um, you know they hired somebody else to shoot it and uh, two or three of the photos that came back uh, that I saw in the, in the magazine by the other guy were very 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 similar compositions to mine. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he saw mine or not, but it was, it, that, so I've been thinking about this a little bit as to you know what what does that really mean or how does that how does that play out? But I think, you know, no one works in a vacuum. Everyone has, uh, you know, you're always inspired by by other things one way or another, either consciously or unconsciously. You might not say, like, well, I want to replicate that lighting style from that picture, but you might say, I like the mood of that or I like that general style. You know, I've changed my lighting style a little bit over the last couple of years, and it's uh, partly in response to just sort of trends and partly in response to just uh, want to try to do things a little differently. So uh, I think we all learn from each other, and uh, I think, you know, the line, it, it, it's, it's a very gray area, and this is a good example of it because there are very similar components in the shot, and like Jared said, they're very different components.
0: All right, Jared. Uh, Jared, here, here's, here's a hypothetical situation involving you, right? Let's say some photographer pops up in New York. I know you're in Philadelphia, but he's in New York, and he says, you know what, I'm going to build a brand. And I'm going to – my brand is going to be – I'm going to be this kind of cool, you know, outgoing guy with a big afro. I'm going to talk about photography. I'm going to have an awesome YouTube channel with millions of views. And he he starts doing you, you know. He starts playing Jared, but doing First it First off, slightly. I don't allow
1: him – I don't allow men in my bed, so he it, can't be what? doing me. All right, whatever. <laughs> but
0: but he puts a spin on it. Like he might say, you know, instead of a, uh, you know, your fro, he's going to like – I don't know, have a longer mustache or wear sunglasses all the time. You know, now what what would you do if you saw that? Would you care or would you just be flattered? Absolutely I'd care for
1: flattery. Um it's just wow, I'm I'm on fire. But no, I <laughs> that's bullshit. I mean, that would be that would be bullshit. That'd be like go find your own thing and and that <laughs> Yeah, no. That but I, what would I, you do?
0: But literally, that happened tomorrow. What would I do? What would you literally do? This happened tomorrow, and you saw this. I know you'd
1: be on fire. I'd probably ignore what, it. What would you do? I'd probably ignore it to begin with, until it, in, because I won't bring light to somebody who who doesn't have a following. Like but that.
0: then, but then he starts picking up speed, and people start confusing you with him, and well, they're like trademark you know, infringement,
1: and then uh-huh. he'll have to talk to my trademark lawyer to to go against the trademark infringement of my uh, of of this. So then this photographer would say, how does that differ from
0: this photographer? Does he
1: have a trademark on his lighting? Can you trademark lighting? Is that something that you can trademark? It's different. It's different. It's like, are you going to trademark music? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can, and you have to then pay for the rights to use certain things. But I look at these two photos, if you want to go back to that, and they are not the same thing. If you want – I mean – the flooring's different. It's a different feel. Sure, it's similar in terms of how those lights are used, but it, it's yeah, so it's different.
2: Yeah, yeah, we agree. I, I yeah, totally agree the lighting is is definitely like when i look at i'm looking at the compositional elements and finding some similarities there but uh, even if the lighting is similar i don't think you can you can call foul on that at all it's light photographers use light the sun the sun i mean the sun creates a similar pattern coming through the window every morning of every building in the world so you, you know, i don't think you can trademark that or call it call it copyright or anything in that case no
0: so, Jeffrey, putting yourself in that situation, someone, you know, you have a, a very distinctive style, style that I've seen on your site and how you accomplish your photography. Someone decides they want to, you know, I'm going to model the Totaro style and mm-hmm. and start building on it. And to the degree, you know, in the, in the beginning, like Jared said, you know, you'd be flattered, like, okay, yeah, whatever, dude. But then when people start saying, hey, are you you know, if they start confusing that photographer with you and hiring him for the jobs that you would have gotten, how would you handle right. that?
2: Well, uh, I think it, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, cause there, there are elements of everybody's style that you can, that you can point to. Uh, but it, I don't know if you can really say, you know, like in my case, he's a lot of one point perspectives. He's a lot of broad, even lighting, things like that. So I think it'd be hard. It'd be hard to really pin it down in yeah. that case. But, um, but certainly, you know, try and I don't know what you can what you can really do because unlike, uh, like like if Jared was talking about like if you have a, a brand that's trademarked or you have trade dress or something like that uh, in a product like a Coke bottle or something that that's a tangible thing you can go after and try and shut down. Is the but, is uh, the is style, the fro style is, is tough? I think
1: is the fro trademarkable, Jared? Um, the logo is the yeah, brand the logo. is. Yep. It's right. it's in you know it's in the process of plus you know I I've learned a lot about trademarks and I've learned a lot about lawyers and I don't like lawyers uh, to begin with, um, but but I'm dealing with it and I'm working to get it taken care of. Um, but yeah, it's a brand. It is synonymous with me. So if somebody comes along with a camera in a logo and they have a fro around it, that is blatant copyright infringement. And if where where. No, not copyright. That's trademark infringement. Where the trademark comes into play is if there's confusion. If there's mm-hmm. confusion between right. my brand and somebody else's brand, then you have a case. If there's no confusion, then it's really not a case. But in, in, in if that was the – got to stop saying case. But if that was the case, then yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, next. So, yeah, we, we definitely – we need to get a lawyer on the show again just to sort of explain how – that, where that line is with this, because I that it's a genuine concern for me. Because if I if I'm like I've said, I'm looking in a magazine, maybe not one of Jared's magazines, but I'm looking in a, ma- <laughs> looking in a magazine, <laughs> and I see some work, some art in there that's like, you know what? Oh man, look at this Greg Gorman black and white shot. I want to I want to practice. I'm going to see if I can do that. So I hire a model, put her in a similar pose. I try to do that lighting, and I try to do the post processing. I don't want to match his thing, but I, I like the look, so I want to I want to get close to it. Is that Am I bad? Am I being I bad Fred. doing that? Can I call you Fred? Rick. You call
1: me. You call me Frederick. Yeah. <laughs> um, you call me Frederick all day long. I want to answer to Fred. We we are. We all started somewhere. We all studied people's work. We've all been inspired by what other people have done. Now there's the difference between blatantly copying and then creating your own style based off of what you've learned. I mean, yeah. when I first started shooting hockey, I studied Bruce Bennett's work because he was the NHL photographer. He was the guy that everybody turned to for images. So I looked at what he was capturing. Okay, I, I wanted to replicate that. But at the beginning, you replicate that. You don't blatantly replicate it as you go along. You start to create your style. But that doesn't happen overnight. So you all start learning from other people and then... You form your own style. And, yes, there's going to be similarities between people, but I like to think that if you look at my work on my site, you go, that's a Jared Polin shot or a Frono, whatever. Jared Polin, that's me. You, you, yeah. that, that's my shot. So I like that people do that with my overblown highlights or my crunchy blacks, you know. Mm-hmm. Sorry, no offense. That, that I like to pump the blacks yeah no offense again i like to make them <laughs> nice and contrasty oh, we don't want to I hear like about se- your date later this evening I like, Jared. come on <laughs> i like a separate here i'm gonna keep going i like separations between my blacks and my whites i like yeah. them to be high contrast yeah yeah okay so so look at it
0: from this standpoint you know if we yeah like you're you're talking about training and sort of being inspired and learning and all that but how do you stop that i mean if you like if you're training and you're going along a line of you know what I like Annie Leibovitz work, and suddenly you turn into Annie Leibovitz. How do you stop? How do you go down that path, Jared, of diverging into your right. own stuff? Well, you know?
1: first I need estrogen, and then I need to have the the, the, the change done so that I can be Annie Leibovitz.
0: Well, uh, who, who's to say you haven't done it already? You might have cha- you know changed into Jared.
1: Hold on, let me check. No, we're still good. Um, Please do not stand up on this show. I'm not wearing pants anyway. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time on a live broadcast I wasn't wearing pants, and I and I've taken my shirt off many of times. Now, if we had the Canadian lady on today, maybe I would have turned on some of the. You know, Sarah
0: will be back on a different show. We'll we'll try to make sure you guys are in the same show together.
1: Well, anyway, um, I don't think you can go down a path where you're going to turn into somebody else like that. I mean, you're not going to copy somebody picture for picture, and I don't think that's possible. You're in different situations. But again, Annie Leibowitz doing the Vogue stuff, you're looking at a very set-up situation. You're looking at a certain style. She isn't the first one to bring out that style. Somebody's done that style. It's just it's all mishmash of things put together to get to a certain image. Now, if you take a little bit from that and you got your David LaChapelle stuff and you're doing something you, you tweak things. I mean, yeah. you're not original. And I, and I don't know if I said this last week, but I've said it a million times somewhere. You're never the first to do anything unless you walked on the moon. And in this case, the next thing you can be the first thing first to do is walk on Mars, you know? Right, so right. you're not the first to do almost anything in this day and age.
0: I mean, How did, one, one, one other thing on that, Jared? I know you have some. you're connected to the music industry and you do a lot of concerts. So from a music standpoint... Like, how does this relate? You, know, you talked a little bit about Vanilla Ice and that riff that, you know, that all that litigation was going on over. If, if Where did they draw the line? At? I'm not familiar with the whole you know, dubbing and you can take this much of a music track and make it your own and you have to have changed it this much. How does that work in the music industry?
1: I, I, think, I think in the music industry, if you have one piece of something, even a freaking note, somebody's going to come after you if they recognize that from their song. I think that happened to uh, I Come From a Land Down Under. They had that mm-hmm. uh, the little flutey thing that was added. Somebody added it in at the very end. But it was from some cartoon from the 40s or 50s, and they wanted to give royalties to them for that. And and it was just like, well, no, that was like an add-on later that the band had nothing to do with. Um, you just have to be very careful. I mean, Coldplay went through this a couple years ago uh, with uh, I Used to Rule the World, you know, that, that song. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know whatever whatever came of that. Yeah. I don't know whatever came of that.
0: Well, yeah, I think
2: but- also with the um, you know, the music because it's uh, the, their notes and they they can be transposed down on paper and it has a you know a pattern. It's it's a real tangible thing. The um, you know, I, I, like your your uh, your brand, the fro, that's a tangible thing. But you're talking about like a photography style. Uh, and, unless you're coming out and and actually trying to trying to duplicate somebody else's photograph, I think a photography style is. You know, not not really um, copyrightable, or not. And, and if someone's doing similar work, it could be similar in approach, but it's never going to be the same because you always have different assignments and you have different uh, different right. goals in the photos. So I think that that's um, that that's where it, that's where it gets to be a gray area because the style, like it, like if you have a, a, another competitor in your market trying to duplicate your style, you can only really do it so much because you're shooting different work. So well, unless it's both- like a model, a model in a studio with a, with X Y Z lighting and she's wearing certain clothes. That, that might be a, a different case, but
1: yeah if you 're shooting the same model, two different photographers shooting the same model going for the same results, you may end up with something similar, but also the people that are hiring you for the job they may not know somebody else does this type of work they don 't know that photographer X originated this, but the person that actually got their work on their desk does something similar i mean yeah, yeah. that
0: <laughs> yeah uh, i don 't know so parting shots on this this particular story, uh, Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. photographers that are listening to this and they're like you know i want to i want to learn i want to i want to make sure that i learn my craft properly and people have told me that you know you learn by looking at things you like and trying to do that kind of thing what would be your advice to a photographer that's like okay i need to i want to start developing my style i understand the fundamentals of photography Mm -hmm. i am technically competent i have my post-processing down i have that stuff but now i want to start developing my look and my style that i can say it's mine how did how do they go about doing that?
2: Right. Well, I think I, I can just look back to when I was uh, learning as a photographer. I looked at other people's work, and I would see techniques or styles, whether it be compositional techniques or lighting styles and things like that. And I would just try and replicate them in the sense that, you know, can I get a shot that looks like that or can I get a lighting effect that looks like that and then just sort of build that sort of toolbox of, of how to do those certain things. But then you start to apply it in your own work and, and in, in your own situations and how, you're gonna, how are you going to make that um, how you're going to translate those things into your own work. And I think that no one really does exactly the same thing as somebody else. Even if you really try, it's never going to work out that way. So I think trying to, trying to you know, mimic somebody else's style just as a learning tool I think is fine. Uh, you can go out and, try, and, try, and uh, you know, try a shot with a really long, long lens to get that uh, really compressed feel. You can try some wide-angle stuff like this guy did. You could try soft lighting, hard lighting. But just to understand it all, I think it's a great approach. You can look around at a variety of people's work, and then you eventually develop your own style from the things that you like. So.
0: Yeah, you synthesize it down, Jared. What, what about you? How does how does a photographer go about getting from a place of technical competency and understanding shooting and post processing to a place where they're an artist
1: and they are they have defined their own sort of signature style? I mean, I I, I look at it backwards. I think uh, when I when I started out, it was more of I didn't know any technical aspects of it. I just shot. I tried to. I got my composition and everything down first, and yeah. then built my Exposures around that, but once I started printing in school in the darkroom, I formulated my own style based off of what I liked. I liked high contrasty black and whites. I liked putting a three and a half or four filter in the enlarger. I knew that I didn't crop. I wasn't cropping back in high school, back uh, as all all the way back into high school. I was never cropping any images because I learned that if you raise the enlarger, what happens to the the, the grain? It gets really large. So if I fill the frame more and then don't have to raise the enlarger i'm going to get a much better result, so I just think you formulate your own style you can you can practice, you can look at what everybody's doing, but take a little piece of everything and formulate what you want to do and, and don't worry about it just shoot yeah,
2: just yeah. shoot
0: I, I agree That's that's the bottom line a lot of people it's analysis paralysis and gear paralysis, which we talk about on the show a lot i can't, I can't paralysis. be a real photographer until I get the stuff that I saw Jeffrey shooting with. I have to get a phase one for, well, you know who's uh, Yeah, I'm never going to be a real
1: shooter. Well, you know who to blame for gear paralysis, the freaking uh, photo bloggers. (laughs) Anybody in particular that you want to point out? No, 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 don't do it. (laughs) Yeah, Ken Rockwell needs to shut the hell up about every new camera that comes out. Every new camera that comes out is the greatest camera ever. The D7100 is by far better than my D4 and my D800 combined. And you know what? I'm going to go back to that D40 because it's, it's amazing. Okay, so let's talk about that. Since you opened
0: the can of worms, let's talk about gear a little bit and that, the whole idea. I didn't open of, the
1: can of worms. You yeah, opened the can I of
0: I did. I did, but I can blame it on you because I'm a host. So, like, the whole idea of gear lust and how that paraly- paralyzes some photographers into thinking that, or the excuse of thinking that, you know what, I could be good, but I'm poor, and all I have is this little, this old D700 or this old whatever. Oh, gee, I'm, I'm sure a bunch
1: of people would be upset with that little old D700. Yeah. yeah. Some people cool. would. Yeah. Some people would. Look, I love my D700. Uh, go ahead. I'll, go ahead. What, what I'll say is if you do not understand the fundamentals of photography and understand the exposure uh, triangle and understand what's going to happen, the cause and effect if you do this and if you do that, you can have a D4 with a 70 to two hundred two point eight, and you couldn't shoot your way out of a paper bag. Yeah. If you hand me a D3000, and I've proved this, I shot a concert. There's an old video that I did that has like 300,000 views on it where I shot behind-the-scenes and I ran a camera, the other camera, I shot with a D3000, but I put good, good glass on it. I, I'm not going to tell you that you can, do, you can do, you can get images with an 18-55, to 55, you can shoot the kit lenses, but if you put quality glass on something, you have a better chance of getting better results if you understand how to use the camera. If you yeah. understand your settings and, you, you know, hand me a D3000, hand me a freaking Canon camera, hand me a Olympus, a Pentax or whatever else, I'll use it and I'll get some great results because I have an understanding after 18 years of shooting what light, what is going on with light. So, yeah. you know, shut up and shoot and, and stop worrying about buying all this mm-hmm. gear. But, again, in this industry with, with, the, with the Internet and with all of the blogs and anybody out there that can have a say, including me, and, and i try not to get stuck in the gear review i get sent so much crap bags uh speaking of crap gary fong domes they tried to send me stuff and i said no this is a freaking tupperware container on top you know you could take a chinese soup container a quart. you could you could paint it black you could put um gaff tape on it you could cut a hole in the bottom How's your pina colada, or is that milk? Does it do a body good? No, mm-hmm. no. this this was a uh, uh, what was it? Kettle one and orange juice. <laughs> I got kettle one and vi- I got kettle one and uh, and lemonade in there. But you don't. I'm not drinking because that's not maybe one day. But um, wherever I was going with that, somebody remind me. <laughs> I knew you were gonna do that. I love that. <laughs> No, so well, you were talking
0: about Gary Fogg and how you yeah, can
1: create right. the same well, light modifier with Tupperware. I think, you know, every beginner runs into this thing that they think they need the best gear in the world to make them a better photographer. But again, I'll just leave it at fundamentals. Yeah. Learn the fundamentals first before you move on to anything else, because all the gear in the world isn't gonna help you shoot better pictures. We know this. Yep. Jeffrey, where where do you
0: fall yeah. in on this? You know, the whole you know, analysis paralysis, and I need that, you know, and I... And I, I get a lot of flack because I am in the same camp that Jared is. You you under, need to understand the the fundamentals of of light, exposure, composition, all that stuff, and then start adding on the Borg technology to get you to where you want to go. You right, know, right. but at least you have that underlying basis of knowing what's happening and knowing what you're automating and what this technology is doing for you, rather than right. just hey, look at this new 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 setting and it does HDR. You know, you want to understand what's happening. Where do you fall on this? I mean, how do how do you reconcile the gear lust that we all have with just learning new techniques? for, For for example.
2: Well, uh, I have a lot of things are running through my head at, at, at the moment, so I'll see if I can make it make it clear. Like, on, on one side, because I, I started shooting with 4x5 film, so, like, as all this <laughs> digital gear started coming along... Well, you I went way using- back.
0: Pretty soon, you're going to be yeah. like, yeah. it starts when I really said it was a 16 by 20 sheet film, and it right, right. <laughs> was in a truck. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, so for me, it was like... It, uh, the, the, the two things I like about what I shoot with now are that... And it just happens to be that it's good quality, but... Um, you know, very high-quality camera system. But also, I like the I like the process of working with this camera. Like I was saying before, it, it's slow and deliberate, uh, and it's, um, you know, it's got camera movements that, that allow me to make the compositions the way I want. So in that sense, the gear, I think, does make me a better photographer because it's, it's allowing me to do what I want to do. In other words, it's getting out of the way. Yeah, but um,
1: People aren't going can... to go shoot a, a 4x5. They wouldn't know what the hell they were doing. <laughs> it's <laughs> right, a totally right. different game when you're buying a 4x5. You're not dropping, you know... Well, you, yeah, it's a totally different game, in my opinion. But yeah,
2: uh, yeah. yeah, but so the gears, um, it, it, it's certainly important. But I think it's it's kind of cliche that that, that, that if, if the gear's good, and you know, and more so if you know what you're doing, the, the gear becomes secondary in the sense that like, because it's more about your vision and what you what you want to do. And then, like for me, like I'm I'm looking around for a photograph again because this is a much slower process. I find the the shot first with my feet and uh, bobbing my head up and down. I'm looking for you know what camera height should be, and then we go get the camera and we stick it on the tripod and, and get the lens where we want it to be. So mm-hmm. it's um, in that case that it's just a tool. Um, it's a great tool, and I really enjoy using it. But um, I never had. Uh, I certainly enjoy the gear. Uh, I went through like also shoot with a Leica sometimes, and I went through a bunch of different lenses with them. But like I basically shoot with one lens on that Leica now, and I just I love that lens. It's kind of how I see when I pick up that camera. So uh, um, yeah. And, now, now Jared, on
0: on your side, have you what's what's in your bag? Like your normal. We talk about this in the interview a little bit, but your normal. I'm going to grab and go. I'm going to do some some street photography around Philly
1: or New York. What, what's in there? My my bag is. uh Right now, D four, fourteen to twenty four, twenty four to seventy, seventy to two hundred, and sometimes I throw in the fisheye sixteen, which I wish they would replace. I call it the Hebrew Trinity because you have the fourteen to twenty four, twenty four to seventy, seventy to two hundred. I feel that I can shoot anything with those three lenses. Uh, I can throw that in my freaking speaking of gear, whatever my think tank, urban disguise backpack is. I can get everything in there. I can put a laptop in there, and I can just go and I and and I can shoot and. That's my thing. Some people are going to want to say, you know, they take the X100S out there. That's what they like. I bought an X100 and I returned it in a couple days because it just wasn't my style. It wasn't how I enjoyed shooting. I don't want to shoot at 4,000 and have it look like Swiss cheese when I can pull out my D4 and have it look amazing. It's just, yeah. I, I want to use the tool that I want to use. And that's, that's my opinion on that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. Everybody seems to love the X100S and a lot of people love that x 100 um, and it's a challenge to use that. But if I had a choice between picking two, I'm going to take my D4 and my Hebrew Trinity.
0: So go, go in the opposite direction, Jared. So the, the New York Times, I think it was Monday's New York Times, or at least I know it was one day this week. Um, the cover was shot with an iPhone and processed with Instagram. Now, where do you fall on that kind of photography becoming mainstream and being a viable form of expression?
1: Uh, it, it became mainstream i mean everybody 's got a camera in their pocket. If they capture that moment and that and they do something with it i 'm not going to sit here and tell you that it 's wrong because yeah. it 's not i mean if anybody 's mm-hmm. going to tell you that that 's bullshit i mean it' it it sucks you know sometimes it sucks, but if they were able to have a vision and capture a moment and then turn it into something because they processed it in Instagram, then so be it if you you, you can 't be you can 't be bitter about that you 're mm-hmm. just going to sit around and just wallow in, in being pissed off and well know, it's, all,
2: it's also like you know, a lot of guys shoot with uh something like a holga in the film days you know and that was a plastic camera that was a giveaway at, at amusement parks you know things like that so that's sort yeah. of the that's sort of the the, the tangent there but I,
0: I say i look at holgas as kind of a, an art form in and of itself because you expect to get the light leaks and every you you can't repeat mm-hmm. it it's almost like shooting with a lens baby remember a lens baby you can kind of you it's just this weird kind of i get what i get <laughs> feel you
1: know what's right. funny uh-oh Squirrel? No, you know, it's funny. No, no, no. No, you said lens baby. And I just think, are they just going to get to the point where they drop the baby because it's turning into a freaking lens? It's just just straight up a lens at this point. I mean, it is.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. But, you know, I wonder. I look at that stuff and I'm like the the Holga yeah that was this that was this awesome camera that you know this this niche group was like okay I want to get these weird photos that are one of a kind and just because I'm using a Holga it's art because it's it's inherently flawed and that's part of the process the iPhone on the other hand or mobile photography not just the iPhone you know the mobile photography crowd that are shooting these cameras are becoming more and more capable and they're doing some real cool stuff with but what process processing engines in there right want, so when when are we going to hit we're getting closer and closer to that we're in the New York Times this week right so with an iPhone so when are we going to get to the point Jeffrey let's put it to you mm-hmm. when you're okay with doing architectural photography with something other than that $20,000 you know Phase 1
2: back that you have <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. I, I, I joke about that all Jeffrey, the time.
0: Where, Jeffrey has a crew of twenty people around him, lighting everything, and then he whips out his iPhone.
2: <laughs> yeah, I always say, "Well, I'm just gonna. You don't mind if I just duct tape my iPhone to my tripod, do you?" Yeah, yeah uh, there you go. I mean, yeah, eventually it'll get good. I mean, it, it probably won't. They probably won't even bother to put in the features I would need for what I do. But I think at some point, it's going to get to a point where it, where it's very, it's it's a very high quality camera, and it can do a lot of different things. And I, I mean, mean just that's imagine. because that's, that's technology. Just because the technology got so good. And so small that you can just carry it in your pocket doesn't make it any less of a camera. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, could you imagine the day when somebody creates a camera and a technology that allows you to focus later? I mean, that will totally just blow my freaking <laughs> here, here mind. Here we go. Now you're gonna start on Lytro. I know. What do, what do you have to say right. about Lytro,
0: Jerry? <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. He's gonna, gonna go get his Lytro. Lytro. He's got lightro. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh,
0: you tried the lightro, Jeffrey. Here it is. Uh, I gotta plug I, my ears I, I back in. I got a lightro
1: right here. <laughs> I, and you got a pink one what's up with the no, pink no, no, it's red it's red <laughs> <laughs> it's red hey where'd okay. my lens cap go oh that's right the magnet magnetic lens cap fell off okay For okay what do you have to say about Lytro? You, you you clearly you have an opinion about Lytro. um i mean the idea of a technology that allows you to do what it allows you to do is pretty fascinating that it, you shoot this Lytro raw file and it allows you to you know, change the focus later. But see, the problem was they marketed it as a camera to change focus later. But it was a hell of a lot more than that, especially with the fact that it kind of does those stereo, whatever, stereographic images, almost 3D like images, because it's capturing a 3D technology. Um, they marketed it wrong and then they put it into this piece of shit design and it's not really something that a photographer wants to hold. And and they know this. I ripped on I ripped the shreds that thing, because I called it a I called it an app. But their problem is, if you read TechCrunch, and I like to read TechCrunch, is that somebody's gonna out Litro Lytro before Lytro ever becomes mainstream. So somebody is building a 13 megapixel sensor instead of whatever this one megapixel or whatever this is, that's going to take rapid succession photos at different apertures and then mishmash them together and out lytro by doing that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Jerry, where, do where, do where do you fall on Lytro? Like, Lytro, looking at not from,
0: you know, not from Fro's mm-hmm. or Jared's disdain for the industrial design of the thing, the technology uh-huh. that's in there. Would that ever find its way into your workflow as an industrial, you know, architectural photographer?
2: Uh, it could, in the sense that uh, if you were trying, because I, I'm shooting with mostly wider lenses, and so there's a lot of inherent depth of field, so there's there's rarely like shallow focus and uh, that sort of thing. But if, if if you could introduce that into an architectural photo, that might be really cool because it's just hard to do because uh, you know shooting with a you know 28 millimeter equivalent, and it's Everything's in focus. So yeah. if you could manipulate the focus and put it less in focus, that uh, for an effect, that might be pretty cool. I'm very interested in the technology, like how they do it. But
1: Absolutely,
2: the files are kind of useless in the sense that they are like you know like a one megapixel file. You can only use it on the, on the web. Uh, you know, what are you really going to do with it? So if, you, if they do get to a, a larger sensor where you can actually make prints from it and things like that, that'd be great. That would be pretty interesting to see.
0: What about from the standpoint of the the Lytro image becoming an art form in and of itself, where you have sort of this interactive still hmm. where you can move around in in Z-space?
2: That could be cool. Like if uh, for some sort of exhibit where maybe the viewer can actually uh, can just manipulate it for their own for their own pleasure, you know, that sort of thing. Is manipulate that, that it, it for now? your
1: own pleasure. Yes. Manipulating it for your own pleasure. <laughs> how did I, do I know that that was not going to slip hashtag, by the pro. Hashtag, guys, if you're watching because I know you're on Facebook because I just read the comments, hashtag manipulate it for your own pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and that's assign perfect.
0: Jeffrey Totaro to it. <laughs> uh, yep, yep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, guys, before we continue uh, with this uh, episode, or actually we're going to We'll be moving into the Critique of the Week segment. I want to thank our sponsor. The show is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And for our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out the service. For a free audiobook of your choice, just go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip that's audiblepodcast.com/slash twip. And one audiobook that I'm listening to right now is a book by the author Robert Green, that's G-R-E-E-N-E, and the rapper 50 Cent. And the idea behind this audiobook, the, the title of the audiobook is called The 50th Law. The idea behind this book is sort of to equip you with the skills necessary to navigate some of the interpersonal relationships that you may encounter in your day-to-day dealings, whether in corporate America or in your personal life. And these could be dealing with people that are just du- duplicitous in nature or people with hidden agendas or, you know, just that sort of world of just humanity. How do you deal with this to get to what your ultimate goal is? You know, whatever your goal is to be successful. So sort of goes into that and the 50 cent spin on this comes from his sort of you know trials and tribulations growing up as a drug dealer and then moving on to insane success as a businessman and rap artist and all this stuff so it just sort of talks about how he did it and how he navigated this sort of infrastructure that was put around him both in uh, in corporate america and in the hood so Definitely a good book. It's a really easy listen, and it's narrated by Robert Greene himself. So it's a really good book. I'd definitely check that out. It's called The 50th Law. And once again, if you'd like a free audiobook of your choice, just head over to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com slash twip. All right, now we're going to jump into the newest segment of our show. This is where we put your images to the Twit panel to see how they stand up. This week we have two images. The first one is from Vernon D. Smith IV. I'm going to bring it up here. Can you guys see the?
1: <laughs> what? Why are you laughing at Vernon's name? Why are you well, It's not just like Vernon Smith IV. It's Vernon D. Smith IV. Esquire.
0: Hey, you're just bad because you don't have a cool name like that. Look at that. All right, here's the image. I have it up on the screen. For you guys that are listening um, to the audio version of the podcast, we'll put links to these images in the show notes, and we'll embed them in the post for this episode. Um, Or you can just watch the YouTube video of this. So, Jared, I want to throw it to you first. No guiding the witness at all. Is this image good, bad, or ugly?
1: Well, I mean, the subject... Looks a little on the Russian side to have an American flag on his arm. Um, but, I, I mean, the first thing I thought of was, is this a straight-up composite? I mean, looking at the lighting, it doesn't look like that it's a – I mean, it could be a regular shot, shot here. Um, do we know if this is a composite or not? I don't hate it's, it. I'm we don't know t- it- I mean, well, it's it's fine. So it's, technically, technically, is this?
0: It, it does kind of look. I'm looking at the top around the top of his the guy's head here. It does it, definitely look like he was composited in. Yeah, it he looks like, like a bad cut job. Yeah.
2: Like yeah, the Moyle didn't do a good job on this one. Yeah, yeah If you read the notes, uh, he he did composite it. So. It's, oh well, yeah. then in that case, screw that because yeah. you. Just shoot the freaking picture. Go into the situation.
1: Put the guy there and do it. I've seen some good composites. You know, Ben Loiner does all the, uh, does a lot of the Breaking Bad stuff. It's fascinating what you can do with it. I'm not anti the composite thing, but I think sometimes it's the easy way out. Especially these people trying to sell you green screens for freaking photography. Give me a break. Go shoot the picture. Uh, Other than that, the lighting, the lighting's fine. It's just, and it's not a very interesting image at this point. Now, knowing it wasn't very interesting to begin with, but are,
0: you, are you anti-compositing? Are you, you like everything should be photojournalistic? or No,
1: not, there are no shoulds in photography. There are there is no definitives in photography. It's what works for you. If that's your style and that is how you create interesting images. The, the thing is, you know, we talk about Instagram. We talk about these composites and, and all of this. The normal people looking at it find this stuff to be fascinating. They think that anything different is amazing, like HDR, People think that it's the coolest thing in the world if they're not photographers. But right. you know, this is on. You want to just straight up on it. It's it's fine. It's exposed well, but it's just a boring image.
2: Okay. Well, so this is,
0: would this would this work would this work as a stock shot? If the compositing were cleaner, I know the the is not cleaner on the edge. But if the well, compositing were cleaner and he'd done a better job with that, do you think this would work on iStock or Shutterstock?
2: Yeah, I think it would. Like but but bucks. but when you read when you read the notes a little bit more about it too the background's not even his shot. So, like we were talking about in the first in the first story about trying to, you know, um, either learn from other people or ripping off someone's style, I think mm-hmm. this shot is sort of hit this guy's learning curve of trying <laughs> something that he well, uh, and that maybe it really shouldn't have been submitted for this particular segment because it's it's sort of like a work in progress and he hasn't really developed his style yet. He's just sort of mishmashing a few things together to see if it works. And he's then, practicing. He's yeah, practicing. And so I think that he's sort of he's sort of midstream on this. This is not really like a final product of his of his vision and his work at this point.
0: If that's the case, you know, I, I would advise against putting your practice work up. I mean you want right. to put you wanna put work up that you're proud of that you consider finished, but don't put it up if you don't if you're not finished with it and then say, Well, I was gonna do A, B, and C. You know, well let's just
1: point point out a few things here. If this is a you know karate kid style image, the semen on the right of the frame don't really match the theme. It's not a dojo. Like you want to shoot a dojo and you want to do that because the guy's going to punch you, then, then do that. Do a composite, but do some fantastically awesome shot uh, at, at one of these dojo-y things and then put the guy in front of it if you wanted to try the composite, but not in front of a picture of the semen. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> parting, <laughs> party, parting shot on this shot. Jared, is this a, is a thumbs up, thumbs down? It gets thrown out because it's not even his image because it uses somebody else's picture in the background. Thumbs down. All right, Jeffrey, what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs, thumbs down,
2: thumbs down, <laughs> thumbs down
0: for the same reasons.
2: Yeah, same reasons. I think I think it's just it's a work in progress or a style. I should say a style in progress. Okay. And, uh, yeah. We but should- I
1: want to reiterate, we're not being really harsh on the photographer, just the image. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, the photographer, we we haven't seen the rest of his body of work. Um, so we're we're just looking at this image and letting it stand on its own merits. Hmm. The next image um is from Wasim Musklaski. Did I get that right? Musklaski. Absolutely. Not. You didn't
1: get it right. Mug- All right.
0: Muglashy. Pronounce it for me. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not
1: go, looking at that. <laughs>
0: Go ahead. Go ahead, Jarrett. Mr. Name well, pronouncer. I got to find name?
1: it. I got to find it here. Where's his name on the picture? It is at the top in the show notes. Well, I'm in the show notes.
0: All right. Well, here we go. Let me bring it up and you'll see it in the, uh, in the image itself. Here it is.
1: Okay. There it is right at the bottom of the screen. I saw this and I thought it was really freaking cool right off the bat. It's got, it's got like three layers of things going on. You've got the trees in the foreground, you've got the clouds in the middle, and you've got the mountains in the background. It's, it's like a, a multi dimensional, because we know photography is 2D and this gives you a three dimensional look on a flat surface. So, you know, Bob Ross would be very happy with the happy trees in the bottom. (laughs) And I think it works. It's a little tree, a happy tree. Yeah, I think sure. I think this one works really well based on the fact that it's multi-dimensional. Boom,
2: got
0: yeah. it. Yeah, layered. Jeffrey, what yeah, do you think?
2: I think it's a great image. Um, uh, agree with everything Jared said, um, and I'll just add. I think what what, it, what makes it work so well too is that the, the the mist and the fog follow the profile of the trees in a yeah. cool way. So it, it just has a, a great a great feel. And then when I read a little bit about the image, and yeah, uh, you know, they had he, I, it, my thoughts were that uh, this guy was prepared to capture this image because he was there. Uh, he was. He says he was actually there trying to shoot something else. He turns around and he sees this image. So, cool. Um, and that they had come up and down the mountain a few times uh, due to weather. So uh, that's the thing. Is it's the takeaway for me? Was it's a great image to begin with, but also it's like you can get those great images when you're prepared to capture them and you're you're aware of them and you're you're letting yourself. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's experience.
1: that whole. You know, the people that will sit there and tell you you, you you're lucky. You're lucky as a photographer because you're, you, you're, you got a lucky shot. Uh, mm-hmm. you were prepared to be lucky. I mean right. that's a, there's, there's a difference sometimes yes, there's a shot that you just you accidentally pressed the button, right? <laughs> for some reason, you accidentally hit the shutter button and then boom, you, you turned it into something amazing. That's luck, but your preparation prepa- you know you're prepared to be lucky. You put yourself in that situation, you were prepared for the moment, and you captured it. It's not luck, it's preparation preparation right. h. <laughs> you Luck.
0: need to write a blog post and call it Preparation H. Yeah. What
2: favors the prepared mind, that's
0: it. Yeah, yeah, that's totally. A... And I, you know, looking at this image from, from my my thoughts on it, I think it works really well. I like the dual tone nature of it. And I like the when I look at it, I could see me I could see that hanging on a wall somewhere, like really big. And it would look if you know if it was if it was at the right resolution, it would ha- it would hold up really well with a nice mm-hmm. Nice frame on that thing, sort of hanging and lit right. This would be a really nice piece of art. You're, I see you laughing over there about something. I knew it. I, <laughs> nah, that's totally inappropriate, what I was thinking. Because I said the word big, right? So <laughs> no, that wasn't it. I'll tell you later. <laughs> okay, yeah, totally later. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so this image, both of you guys think this, that image is a success? Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Awesome.
0: Yeah, it's very cool. clean. All right, so we got we got 50-50. We have unsuccessful. Back to the drawing board for Vernon and Wasim. You uh, you get the thumbs up from the whole crowd. All right, guys, uh, before we go on to the listener Q&A, i uh, to give a nod to our second sponsor. This show is also brought to you by Squarespace.com. Squarespace.com is the sponsor of this show, and they've just launched a major new product feature called Squarespace Commerce that gives Squarespace subscribers the ability to quickly set up an online store and manage and sell products through their website. They're the all-in-one platform, basically, that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, and portfolio. And now, like I just mentioned, an online store so their new commerce solution allows you to instantly create a store and start selling whatever products you want. I mean, for example, you could be selling music CDs or MP3s or hardcover books or eBooks. Basically you can sell physical or digital goods. You can set up a fast merchant account so you can set payments right away, credit or debit cards. And there's a single interface for order management. You can track orders. Um, you can get customer email updates or have email updates sent to customers. You can print shipping labels. You can even add coupons into this. And they've got a, a the Squarespace commerce sort of integration is included with a business plan subscription, and that starts at twenty four dollars a month when you sign up for a year, or thirty bucks a month for a monthly monthly plan. Um, along and this is on top of all the other things that Squarespace does that we've been talking about over the over the past year or so, with regard to having mobile ready, responsive designs, meaning the site. And now your commerce store, your e-commerce store, will automatically tailor or restructure itself to fit on any device, whether it be a smart smartphone, a tablet, or a computer, and it just sort of automatically does the right thing. Plus, you have social media integration. You can automatically import, sync, and publish to and from social media networks with just a few clicks. It just goes on and on. You can sign up for a free trial. Just head over to squarespace.com twip, get your free account, you don't don't need a credit card. You just sign up. You can try it out. Start building your website. Then if you decide you want to purchase that website, use the offer code TWIP4 and get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. And that includes monthly and annual plans. And don't forget about free domain registrations for annual plan customer subscriptions at squarespace.com slash TWIP and use the offer code TWIP4. All right. All right. Let's get into some listener Q&A. This is a segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. The first question is from Jonathan Harp, and he writes, what are the advantages or disadvantages of buying one filter to fit your largest diameter lens and then buying uh, setup rings, I think you mean step-up rings, for the other
1: lenses or step-down rings? Or step-down rings. rings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jared, you want to take this? Um, I mean, an advantage of buying, say, a 77 millimeter filter, a uh, circular polarizer, and then getting step down rings for your lenses that have smaller, uh, filter sizes is you save money.
0: Money, yes.
1: Um, yeah. pretty easy. I personally do not use filters on my lenses. Now that, that's not saying I wouldn't use a circular polarizer. It's just, Certain things that I shoot, I don't really use it. But I am looking to pick one of them up to shoot through windows and glass and reflections like that. But uh, mm. that, I mean, that really that that's about it for me on that. Is that you're uh, you're saving money on the step downs? Okay, Jeffrey. Anything to add to that?
2: Uh, well, I, I totally agree with that, and uh, but I'll add. One thing and that's that uh, i I used uh, a lot of step, step down rings mostly uh, for the same reason and I found that a lot of times just a weird little thing but a lot of times they would the step rings would get be hard to get off the filter hard to get off the lens mostly off the filter mm-hmm. so I found like, fumbling around with them a lot just the way they're made because they're so thin and small they would really just jam up on there I remember so, having to stick them in the freezer a bunch of times just to Get them. Just that quick temperature change would free them up a little bit, just to get them loose. Huh. So that's just one little stupid nuance. But that's. uh But otherwise, it, it's a great way to, to to save money, at least in the short term. Like maybe you want to get that that filter, and then if you find you're, you you need it on both lenses or three lenses, then maybe you get one for each. But for something like a polarizer that you don't use every time, and maybe you only use five or six percent of the time, then the step rings make total sense, and just deal with it. Yeah.
1: Ooh. Call yes. me. Yeah, you with the front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you could just buy every lens that has just 77 millimeters and only shoot with 2.8s, um, except the 14 millimeter, yeah. you can't do that with the Nikon. Because
2: yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's like video, lens. video lenses are like that, right? Aren't they all mostly the same, uh, the same, the same thread size for the same reason? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't
0: shoot. Video. So, so Jared, you are not. Did I hear you right that you don't shoot
1: with um, any filters at all? Like, not even a Skylight or anything? No, hell no. I mean, look, if you're going to use it, and Alan's camera would yell at me because they sell filters. But look, when I used to work, it's a Ritz camera. Screw David Ritz again, by the way. He deserved to lose his company three times. They're That's nuts. a whole other show right there. Look at <laughs> yeah, that. well, anybody who knows that guy, he totally squandered. Screw that. Anyway, um, what were we talking about, filters? Yeah, filters. You oh, said, yeah, you don't I don't use them. them. Um, no, I, I, the mentality is if you have an amazing piece of glass, why are you going to put a subpar piece of glass in front of it? You know, that was the whole thing. Like, Ritz Camera would have you sell... Uh, uh, ProMaster, because David Ritz owned a piece of that company, and ProMasters are pieces of crap. So you're putting a piece of crap in front of your lens, you're going to get distortions, you're going to get flare, you're going to get issues. Yeah. So when it comes to, I mean, I've been through the desert 40 days and 40 nights through the desert in Israel it wasn't really that it was 2 weeks in the desert we've explored that old really that's amazing <laughs> that was we you <laughs> yeah that was me moses jesus well, i mean you can't see what i'm doing but i'm tilting the head to the side and one leg's up but um yeah to all the people that just clicked off because of that one um, yeah, yeah. no but no really
0: that even com d- for the mail
1: right there <laughs> yeah you can send it right to me please um I've gotten the religious mail before but you know even going through the desert I didn't want to use a filter. Um now if you're shooting paintball, you know people need to put like seven filters on it because there's been times that they broke three filters on the outside and didn't break the front element. So there's certain situations to use it but in my case I prefer not to use a filter at all because I want the purest image, and I'm going to clean my lens with one of my Fronos Photo Lens Cloths. Please show me. The, please show go. the lens cloths, and thank you. For, you send me a bunch of those. Thank you for that. It's awesome. I did? Yes. I think I told him to send you what I
0: sent you, three? Yeah. Two. Yeah, I think three or four or something like that.
2: Oh. Well, I mean, it just adds to add to Jared's point about the filters, because especially in situations he's shooting in, um, you know, a lot of you know, random lighting everywhere, bright lights, things like that, uh, the filter could easily pick up uh, a little bit of extra flare that, that your lens hood might not even cover so much. Uh, so I, I, I would agree with that in that case. When I'm, when I'm shooting, you know, fixed on a tripod, if I were to, when I used polarizers, I don't use them much anymore. But, um, you know, I, I would always have, you know, separate stands set up for lens flags and things like that. So, but if you're working, in a very dynamic environment with a lot of bright lighting, I would I would actually recommend not using a filter in that case. Too. What do
0: you, What do you guys say to the crowd that says, "Well, hey, I just spent you know all this money on this lens, and if I drop it without a filter on it, at least you know if I put a filter on, it, at least the filter will take the damage, and my oh, lens yeah. is
1: safe if it falls that way." I mean, no that that was the sales point for a lot of people, is that, oh, it's going to protect your lens. So, yeah, put that $20 piece of shit in front of your $1,000 lens and now get shitty resulting photos. Where I think I saw on the notes, are we talking about uh, insurance and stuff coming up? Uh, We might if we get to it. But, yeah, go ahead. Just follow your train of thought. But, but yeah, (laughs) I mean, it it goes into those people that have digital SLRs and when they go on vacation, they want to take something else. They want to take a smaller camera because it's too fucking heavy to carry. Fuck you! And it might get stolen, right? It's just like you bought. You're a photographer. Take your camera with you. Don't pussy out and take something else and and worry about it. I'm sorry, down there. I didn't mean to yell. But it's just like—is that your neighbors? Yeah, but they didn't. Did I anything. hear somebody say, "Shut up"? Probably. And I'd be like, "F you." here, but no, really. It's it's that whole mentality of you got to use the gear that you have. It's like me being afraid to use a Sharpie because I'm going to, this is the psychological problem with me. And I, I don't know why I need to talk to a psychologist or psychiatrist or talk to somebody that has a couch, preferably a woman, 28 years old, <laughs> just out of college, you know, and, and ask her, why am I afraid to use a Sharpie? Because I could always go buy a new one, but I feel like I'm going to waste it. If I use it, it's just Wow. Forever. <laughs> yeah i don't know what that meant those are deeper deeper psychological
2: issues you hear
3: you
0: know because right. you can they're very cheap jared
2: <laughs> that'll be on, on on this week in psychiatry
0: <laughs> there you go there you go jeffrey what about I, I don't know if they relate to your world but you know the the idea of having a filter on your medium format camera to protect it in case it falls thereby degrading the the pristine image of your architectural photography
2: <laughs> With, yeah. is
0: that, does that fall in does that factor in
2: no, I don't have any. I don't have any filters. Uh, any of the sort of you know, protection, UV haze filters, on any of my medium format. We're really on any of my lenses, but uh, certainly not the medium format ones because those are some of the sharpest lenses that you can buy, and so yeah. Uh, so, so we teams. we
0: all agree. I think we all agree that uh, we don't use protection. So, <laughs> well, the funny thing about
1: that, Frederick, is I come prepared because
2: right no, over here, here we go. Don't
1: stand, no, don't stand up. There's a special spot in the think tank bag. Uh, let's see. What's in the think tank bag? You really want to see these? Uh, I want to see. Well, I've been I've been doing reviews. I'm trying to figure out which ones are better.
0: Uh oh. <laughs> see. The- the, the, the listeners to this podcast, you have to watch this video because I don't know what's going to come out of I'm that bag. Gonna,
1: I'm not going to pull it out, all right? I don't want to show people the magnums in here. <laughs> yeah.
0: The, the brand new ones. Did there. you
1: ever see a magnum? These things are freaking, like, they're <laughs> Jared,
0: for the listeners, Jared Poland pulls out a magnum from his camera bag. Look,
1: it's, you never know when you need to put it over your lens to get some. Artistic effect, yes. uh, and because the lube totally. We all need it. a little
0: breathing room, right, Jared?
1: <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm Jewish, and I don't fall into that stereotype that many of the women have said. I may have the abs of Jesus, but you know,
0: <laughs> whatever. This is great. I love it. Best show ever. I love it. All right, guys, uh, so I, uh, let's just jump into Steve Norris's question. He had question number two. He says, I have a Nikon D600. There's one option that I'm wondering about, FX versus DX. Is there an advantage to shooting in DX mode versus shooting in FX and then cropping later?
2: Now, Jeffrey, you don't shoot yeah. Nikon, do you? I don't, but I'm familiar with the, 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 the formats. But okay, I, go I for it. But I guess the question that, that I had uh, that came up to me in my mind was, well. What, what lenses is he using? Is he using the DX lenses or is he using full frame lenses? Because if he's thinking, I'm not sure why he if he had if he had full. Let's frame assume lenses, he's
0: using. Let's just assume he's using full frame, full frame lenses and wondering if he should be, you know, increasing his, his apparent focal length by cropping.
2: I, I guess it, it, I mean the way that camera works. I mean, it, it's basically just reducing the sensor down, right? So it's whether you crop, crop it or, or <laughs> let the camera do it. It's it's still the same result, right? Yeah, is that, exactly. Exactly.
1: Basically, but the The problem is if you shoot too tight or something along those lines or you cut something off because you cropped uh, you're using the crop sensor then you run into issues um i I don't crop my work like i've said before but i would prefer that somebody you know this comes back to the whole teleconverter thing and and all that i would rather see somebody just shoot it and then crop it later uh If that's the case, you're still going to, I think, get better results in quality. Um, I wouldn't shoot the DX mode, even if those people that say that you get, oh, but I get six or seven frames per second at DX. Mm -hmm. You know, It's just like shoot the highest quality that you can. Shoot your RAW, shoot your 14-bit if it lets you do that. And then if you have to, to creatively get the image that you're looking for, crop it, then by all means go ahead and do that. But rather take all of the data that you have and then crop down because if you miss it you cut somebody's head off you cut somebody's finger off you can't get that back yep i agree yeah, that works agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: love it all right let's jump into the picks of the week guys this is the uh the end of the show here this is where you guys can pick anything to recommend to the audience as long as it's somehow related to photography jeffrey what's your pick of the week
2: my pick's gonna be the, the new uh phase one iq 260 back i was just out shooting with it last night testing that it. that no one can afford 000. but you <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. People, you know, you can rent them. You can you can aspire to it. Actually, that's an interesting point. But I've been shooting with Phase 1 for a while, right? And they actually have um, a really good, like, trade-in deal you can get. I'm going to trade in my back He's trade for in five years. Core. But yeah. the, the, I'm going to trade in this back that I've had for five years, right? And I'm going to get more than 50% of the value of the new back. Okay. Now, what what piece of technology is worth more than 50% of its value five years later? I mean, that's, and that's, that's... that's, that's pretty good.
1: And that's smart as can be. And that's a, that comes back to a lot of people that always ask, oh, how do you afford the best gear? If you do it smartly and take the offers, like if you roll the next body into something else, then you're, yeah. you're just, you're not great spending. How much is that body? You got to tell me.
2: Uh, I think it retails 40 or 44, somewhere around 1,000. 1,000, <laughs> not thousand, yen. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> not <laughs> pesos, no, not hundred, dollars. Not 4,400, right. right? Um, well, so,
1: yeah, that's
0: insane. That's yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. That's really insane. that insane. that's amazing.
2: But, yeah. but what's cool what's cool about what, what what they incorporated now into it is they have uh they built Wi Fi into the into the back. So you can now uh if you're shooting to the card rather than shooting tethered, you can you can view the images right on your iPad. That's so. a
1: bunch of crap. You tell me you're gonna show <laughs> is that a smaller JPEG? It's yeah. like yeah, well, no, hold it's, on. It's, Let me take a fifty megapixel picture that's three hundred freaking megabytes and send it right over to your ipad and we'll wait here for seven minutes would you actually do that
0: jeffrey do you do you would you use that kind of functionality even if it's a smaller jpeg preview does that help
2: well what what it does for you is it's it's and it's not sending the whole file over it's just it is just sending a preview over but uh you can you can check focus on it really easily uh Mm -hmm. and you can if you're working with a client like for me i anticipate using it outdoors more we're doing exterior photos because i shoot tethered 95 percent of the time to my laptop yeah anyway but um there are plenty of times when i'm shooting outdoors i'd rather not shoot tethered just because it's cumbersome i gotta worry about the battery um you know because the macbook pros don't have replaceable batteries anymore uh yeah. so i'm very much looking forward to using the new back in that regard where i can i can trust the focus just based on the on the ipad real quick it's quicker to move around i don't have to uh you know i just don't have to deal with the laptop so i'm really jeez well, that's
1: that. worth forty four thousand dollars if i bear. yeah I, i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs>
0: It it would have to like do some serious magic for me to want to drop forty four grand. I mean that's a that's a down payment on my Tesla right there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that's a big down payment on your Tesla. Yeah, that's yeah. About,
2: that's about two thirds of it. I think only. Yeah, knows. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> All right, cool. You got anything else for us, Jeffrey?
2: Um, that's that's bad for this week. And oh well, unless okay. I can just plug an event I'm going to do, which is uh, sure. I mentioned it earlier, but uh, April twenty uh, fourth in New York. It's um, at, uh, I think it's at Splashlight, um, doing an event for Phase One, their uh, they're world tour where they're introducing the new backs. And I'll be speaking there about shooting uh, architecture with medium format. So uh, awesome. I think awesome. I put it in the show notes for uh, anyone with such
0: a. Is there, are they going to have, like, uh, you know, Chase Bank there giving out loans
2: for these? Sure, yeah. But there'll be a guy in the back who's trying to
0: close <laughs> <it>. Tell Phase <laughs> to partner with Chase or Wells Fargo so that, you know, screw that home loan, just get a camera loan. <laughs>
1: Go for it. All right, thanks, Jerry. Uh, Jared, what's, what's your pick of the week? Fronos Photo Raw Talk. We're on a podcast. Right. If you want to listen to another podcast, love it. I do yeah. That. So I would that would I would have picked that. That's awesome. So you just well, started that thing up, right? How long ago? What, well, what episode? I'm on 29. That's 29 weeks. That's a long freaking that time. Is, and we just yeah. we just did an episode back in the. My thing is I like doing them in person. Um, we sit around my poker table that i have at the loft here and we we talk we talk photography i like it in person because it's more personable i can be more you know animated um and we try to have really cool photographers on so there's 29 episodes you can download them there's some flying solo because the only way to go is solo sometimes and then you don't need protection yeah so are you is this an audio
0: or video podcast
1: it's both uh we Kill both uh, worlds. We put it up on YouTube. You can watch it and listen to it at the same time, and you can download it on iTunes, Stitcher, any of those places. And, and the MP3 is up on the site. You can listen. What? Very cool. All right. Why is the head shake? Did I say like? No. No <laughs> one shook their head. <laughs> you did. I, I'm. That's in said, your head, man. That's in your. <laughs> but anyway, plugging something else. I don't know. I got no other plugs. I got things going on. Just you can follow the website and discover it for yourself yeah i would definitely you
0: know encourage the the listeners to check out the website and support you that i'm a big fan of this t-shirt that i, the that I got shirt. the fro nation shirt yeah just because it has my favorite lens on there you know yeah. look at that, well, look at this, that. this is the gold
1: the gold i shoot raw on they come in multiple different designs and there's a space design there's a and what uh, are, what's the what's Back the price the of these these shirts what do they go for uh oh, fourteen ninety nine gets you one. Thing. And actually there's a spring sale going on, which is gonna be over when's this going up? Friday? This will be Friday, yeah. So this uh, it was, I think the spring sale will still be going on at store.fronosphoto.com. It's gonna be eleven ninety nine for a random shirt, nineteen ninety nine for two random shirts, nice. and some extra goodies. Very cool. Yeah, there were a lot just
0: for the record. I don't know if I'm special, but there was a lot of stuff in the box with just the t-shirt that I got. So Yeah, I had
1: something to do with that one. <laughs> <I hate poetry. laughs>
0: cool. All right, and my my quick pick of the week is The Big Photo Show. It's a new show from the folks at PDN um that is going to be at the Los Angeles Convention Center May 4th through 5th and it's free. It's uh, basically they're trying to sort of build a show that's not geared towards professionals or wedding photographers. It's geared towards amateurs and advanced amateurs that just love photography. So you can come out and watch tutorials and training and do contests and all that kind of stuff. And speaking of contests, they, they're running a photography challenge right now, which is pretty co- cool. And they're giving away – I want to read this. Let me click over to it. So they're giving away, if you enter this contest, the grand prize is a trip for two to L.A. for the show, round-trip airfare from anywhere in the contiguous U.S., um, plus hotel accommodations for uh, three nights and a Samsung NX20 camera, and then what they've the got the hell a...
1: is a Samsung NX20? Is that like an Android piece of shit? Crap? I am going to look <laughs> at it right now. You know I mean, you th- want it. I remember when I was at the Photo Plus show in New York doing the 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 It actually the looks live pretty cool. Show. Look at this. Let me, let me pull it up on the screen here. Look at this. It's going to replace the phase one day. <laughs> here it is. Let's see this camera. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Get out of Magnum right now. <laughs> You want this camera. You know you want this camera. Especially yeah, I want a $500 freaking camera like this.
0: <laughs> Look at that. Hey, why not? Would you turn this down if they gave you this camera? Absolutely. freaking <laughs> <laughs> You are killing me. Samsung will never be sponsoring no Spot. <laughs>
1: I have a 60 inch Samsung TV hanging on my wall. It's a fantastic so TV. So do I. And I'm yeah, sure yeah. they make fine cameras, but it's just again, it's that bridge that. Oh, excuse my language. Um, the can, can tell I see us, you tell us why you don't like this camera? Go ahead. Go it's ahead. It's not Wait this it. camera. It's this term bridge camera. You're either going to be a photographer or you're not. So this bridge thing. I think I may want to take some pictures one day. Maybe I want to get a DSLR in two years. I want this bridge camera to hold me over. The what bridge wheel? are you walking over? Get a freaking camera. Take the plunge. <laughs> Jeffrey, what do you... Uh-huh.
0: How do you feel <laughs> about the Samsung NX20 20.3 megapixel compact camera system? Well, <laughs> you, I'm sure
2: it's a very fine camera.
0: <laughs> I'm sure no. it's a fine Hello. freaking camera. You guys are exact opposites. Jeffrey is like... No, no. You're like a politician... The, on Capitol Hill, and Jared is like leading the, the rebel forces. Yeah.
2: Well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything about that camera, so I. Look. I was looking you for know, You look at Air the Air Panasonic. Panasonics,
1: you look at the Samsungs, these guys are spending a shit ton of money on advertising. They're doing a fantastic job getting the information out to people, and they're spending a ton of money. I, they haven't offered me any on my website. Whether I take it if they offer it is a totally another animal. <laughs> I don't know if I would say yes. Um, yeah. Depends how much they want to throw my way. But. But I would be completely honest with people and let them know. I mean, I would give it a fair shake if they wanted to send it, but I probably wouldn't want to – I mean, look at that picture right there. How? No, right there at the bottom. This one? What is that? How are you going to get a picture like that with live view? Oh, it's so fantastic. Let me hold it out in front of me. This is this is so unbelievable, Eric Cutman. Eric, you're so amazing. <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> screw you, Kyle. It's just like, no. It's like, I don't want it's you to Samsung. It. I want a Nikon. <laughs> You're
0: killing me. I'm going to start crying like, here in a minute.
1: But guys, I want to use the Lytro because it's so amazing. <laughs> Look, it, it's so like, it's like a lipstick. You know, ma'am, ma'am, we you get the door? It's
0: oh, the my Litro God. The Litro people you're, trying to take me gonna away. You're going to get sued by the, uh, by the South Park folks.
1: <laughs> hey, they can parody me all they want. I'll take it. I love it.
0: That's awesome. I, I'm totally lost now. I don't even know where I am in this. Show. <laughs> All right, we're at the end of this episode, guys. Can I say um, something? You can say whatever you want. Go for it.
1: For anybody who's watching live, I'm going to jump on over to Spreecast right after this to get your reactions, but that's for people watching live. Just look for the link. I'm going to put it up on the Facebook page. Sorry, Frederick.
0: Yes, I'm going to go check that out, too. This is, uh, yeah, this is
1: crazy. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I'm going I'm to definitely need another drink. All right, we're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Uh, Jeffrey, where can people go to check you out and see some of your architectural photography?
2: Uh, you can visit my website at jeffreytotero.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-T-O-T-A-R-O.com, and also on Twitter at Toterra. Awesome. And Jared Polin,
0: a.k.a. FroKnowsPhoto.
1: com. thank you. That's it, just right there. Well, there's, so, there's a million other things, but you can find it if you really want to follow it. Yeah,
0: cool. Yeah. And they could just Google you. They don't even need to. Just Google FroKnows. And- if you type
1: in FroKnows,
0: you're going to find me. Love it. cool all right guys thanks uh jeffrey thanks for coming on sure. fro thanks for coming on again it's been a pleasure uh, sorry you know, i made it rated r for your readers today hey you're just <laughs> you are just giving suzanne some work in editing so oh, is there bleeping gonna happen <laughs> i don't know it's up to her she's a producer no so, i don't do anything i'm just the host I don't, i'm just a talking head All right, and listeners, if you want to check out everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. Join our Google Plus community, please, and consider submitting an image for our critique of the week. So you can have us rip yours apart like we did one of the images today on the show. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at Frederickvan.com. That's it. It's time to take that lens cap off.
2: Week in Photo is a pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.
0: All right, and for the folks that are still hanging in there listening to this episode of This Week in Photo, here's a special treat. Here's an interview that I did with Mr. Matt Granger. He's also known as That Nikon Guy. You can find him at ThatNikonGuy.com. We had a nice conversation about yeah, not so much Nikon, actually. There's more photography and a really cool Kickstarter project that he has going on. So give this a listen. Okay, I'm here hanging out with a guy known as That Nikon Guy. You can find him at thatnikonguy.com. His name is Matt Granger, and he's uh, agreed to come on to talk to us about why he is that Nikon guy. What's his affinity for Nikon, as well as some other amazing projects that he has going on. and you know, full disclosure. There's some Nikon products on the on the shelf behind me. If you're watching this hangout, <laughs> <laughs> so we are uh, we're we're uh, what are you? Kindred spirits, I guess you'd say we are. I guess so. So Matt, welcome to this week in photo. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So where where are you in the world right now?
3: I am in a two star hotel room in Toronto. You can see I've just angled the camera so you're not seeing all my crap that's spread out everywhere. I just got (laughs) back from Cuba about two hours ago.
0: Oh, wow, two hours ago, yeah, two-star yeah. hotel room, that's a little dangerous, you know, don't, yeah. make sure you don't bring any bed bugs or anything back with you when you leave.
3: There. That's right, my life is not a fashion show, as long as my gear doesn't get stolen, I don't care how fancy the room is.
0: Love it, love it. Okay, so this is your first time on This Week in photo. so let's introduce you to the audience. Who is Matt Granger, and what was your, what's your sort of, um, you know, pedicure in photography? My pedicure? Yes. Oh, pedigree. A pedigree. Uh, <laughs> pedicure. I did not see pedicure. That's the... later on my calendar today. That's why it's in my...
3: <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> when I was pedigree, in Thailand, though, I got, um, what are they called? Frangipani. Uh, yes. I got a pedicure down there when I was traveling with a friend. It was lovely. So thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> um, hey, okay, you got to maintain things. Come on. I'm just saying. <laughs> called manscaping, you know. Yes.
0: All right. This, <laughs> see, now we're going off the rails again, see? <laughs> okay. So okay. who who are you and, and what is your pedicure slash pedigree in okay. photography?
3: <laughs> okay. Um, well, I don't know where you start with a question like that. I grew up in the country. My mm-hmm. dad's a farmer. Mom's a teacher. Actually, there's like 20 teachers in my family um i let's see let's see i didn't take to farming I, I don't have the the manual labor work ethic required for that kind of thing yeah um but from my dad and his father and up and up the generations i did get his love of photography so i guess that's where you know this path that i'm on all really started his mother was a mad, mad photographer i mean not as in hugely creative or in think but she would shoot a roll a day the whole time wow. I knew her wow. every day it was all it'd be 12 shots of somebody you know cutting the cake or whatever you know it wasn't you know amazing stuff but she was just prolific every day would be going into town to the pharmacy to drop off one roll of film pick up the other one and I think I inherited all of her cameras as she kept upgrading them every six months or something so I think I'll blame her for my gear addiction that I confess to having now. <laughs> um, As we all do, uh, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just own it, you know. Um, I did photography back in high school. So when I was 14 or 15 or something like that, I was lucky despite being in a small country school. We had full darkroom and that kind of thing. So I was able to take uh, a full you know, course in photography then. Um, And then, I don't know, like I always had a camera with me, but for until probably, it would have been until I took that course, actually, I never thought of photography as anything more than capturing moments, just I used it like a little portable photocopier, you know, just there's something happening, take a shot just to you know, have the memory the same way people use their iPhone to take a photo of their dinner, so sh- they can show their friends. Nothing creative whatsoever, no yeah. storytelling. Ne- never occurred to me that there could be an art to it until I actually studied the artists of photography. Um,
0: and how did you do that? How did you were you Were you formally trained in photography, or was it was it a self taught sort of enterprise?
3: Well, the you know that year that I well was it a year, however long it was, the course I did at. As part of my school certificate, what we called i don 't even know what they call it now, but you know my you know my final education at high school, I did that formal training, but i didn 't go to uni or something like that that 's a whole different story. I did end up doing film studies, which is you know related in the storytelling and the cultural studies side of it, but never not the actual technical stuff I didn't do at uni. So I would say self-taught really because there was such a big gap between, uh, you know, I learned on a 35. Actually, what did I learn on? So the first cameras I was shooting on were those little drop-in cartridge cameras, fully oh, yes. automatic, like I say, just snap, snap, snap. Yep. Uh, then during that course I used, you know, a full manual 35 mil film camera and then I think I I had that but I was mostly shooting with digital cameras all the time so uh, my dad, for in his other life, he traveled a lot, so you know he 'd always bring us back the latest one and a half megapixel latest greatest thing from japan to to play with um and it was probably in my first uni degree that i no when would it have been i don 't know it was sometime after that that I actually got my first d s l r and really got back into it so you know it 's yeah, it was a bit of a when it leaps and starts, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. And then now, you, now you're here. So let's fast forward to today and this brand that you've built called That Nikon Guy. So first of all, why Nikon? Why not that Sony guy, that Olympus guy, that Canon guy? Why
3: That Nikon Guy? Question. Well, I should point out I'm only known as That Nikon Guy in North America. The rest of the world, I'm That Nikon Guy. Okay. okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll let that slide. Um, right.
0: Everyone else is pronouncing it wrong, for the record. It's Nikon. <laughs>
3: Clearly. Um, yeah, look, it was, there was no strategy there. And if I had to do it again, I wouldn't have chosen that Nikon, Nikon guy. Mm-hmm. Um, the day that I set up my YouTube account, I had a bag that I thought I'd do a review on. I thought, I shoot with Nikon. Why not call myself that? It's a little bit catchy, easy to remember. And Nikon shooters may be more likely to watch me, not even thinking about that Canon's bigger than Nikon. <laughs> Then there's Sony Olympus, Pentax, Minolta, Fuji, everyone else in the market yeah. that I may ostracize. <laughs> Thankfully, I think um, most people who watch the channel, there's very little that I do other than you know if I'm saying, okay, here's the new D4, here's all of the features, let's do a walkthrough. All the tutorials I do really, I'm talking about settings that every DSLR has, and it makes no difference which one you know, I might use. I say might say VR instead of IS or something like that, but you know, yep. it's all pretty universal. But uh, I don't find Nikon easy to deal with whatsoever. And if they're getting free promotion out of me using them, well that's fair enough because you know, I chose the name because people like Nikon, but uh, I'm not trying to, you know, you're not, them you're not sponsored,
0: you're not a sponsored photographer, you're just, you just make <laughs> the name out I of it. I can
3: barely guy. get an email return from them. Really? <laughs>
0: yeah. Really? So how, do, how does this, how does it work? Because I know just people, by virtue of me talking about the cameras that I shoot with, think I'm a Nikon guy, right? There's that yeah. brand of, hey, you chose that, or you're a Mac guy, or you're a whatever guy, you know, you have yeah. to get that brand rather than I'm a photographer that you that happened to have chose this particular tool to do my work with. You get branded with that tool. You've explicitly branded yourself with that tool. So how does that bring sort of the crazy people out of the closet that want to challenge you to say that, well, hey, my Canon is better than your Nikon or my Olympus is better than your Nikon? You
3: know, do you get a lot of those people? Well, I think the Canon One DX is better than my Nikon D4, and I think the Olympus OMD is better than the Nikon V1, J1, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. and then, hey, do you say so that?
0: What? Do you say that on your site and say, okay, this camera is better than this this equi- equivalent Nikon
3: model? Well, you know, I, it's hard to compare two things, and it is all subjective. But I think ah, we're on are gear already. But yeah, I do think the One DX <laughs> is kind of the top. Flagship 35mm camera on the market at the moment. Yeah, but I, uh, you know, it's 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 not that big a deal if something you know really groundbreaking came out. I'm not that tied to it when I chose it, and this is the advice I give to everyone: just see what's comfortable in your hand, what feels intuitive. I looked at what was out there. I actually started using Olympus. My dad was an Olympus guy for 40, 50 years, and I've still got his OM1. I've got a bunch of Olympus gear. Um, and like I said, I'm just a gear nut. Like, And it's not photography related. I got the latest and greatest whatever. Back in college, my nickname was Inspector Gadget because I always had the latest <laughs> thing that came out. Um, I love it. But I, I I really don't care at all what people use. And I've never looked at a picture and thought, that must have been with the new 5D Mark Three. Just look at that sharpness or yep. it's like, whatever. It's, no. um, I use it and... That's
0: it, you know, use what now, you like. Now you've gone on, so you've, you've sort of channeled that inspector gadget nature of yours into into your website. Because I'm looking at your site here, I can bring it up in the Hangout here. Um, looking at your site here, and you have done reviews of Pocket Wizard Plus X, um, the Drobo 5D, Ring Flashes, all this stuff. So is this, is this your outlet for letting people see kind of in your head of what you think about different gear?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, that's like, I uh, really, so to to give a bit of background, I did not start the the YouTube channel with a big game plan on how it was all going to play out. I literally started because I had a new bag that I wanted to do a review on and that was it. And then people left comments and it grew and it grew slowly, slowly. And then, you know, I made videos responding to what people were asking the most and now it's kind of... I actually split them. I have two YouTube channels: one where I try and keep all of the reviews, and one that's more about teaching. So, still, you know, if I get something new, like uh, new Pocket Wizard, as you say, I'll, when it gets announced or whatever, then I'll do a video on the news and reviews channel. And then, if I ever end up getting a hold of one, then when I show what its features are and how I use it on a shoot, then that actually goes onto that Nikon guy, which is uh, I realise it's a bit of a Bit counterintuitive that, um, that that Nikon guy is the, l- the less product-related one. You know, it's more about technique. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's how it is. But I do really enjoy using that stuff. And what I, you know, it's either stuff that I use and own and have bought or brands that are friendly and can see past the name and are happy to send me stuff to do a review on or to have a look at. Um, and as I say, to be honest, um, I've in, personally, in my experience in Sydney, Fuji and Olympus are much easier to deal with than Nikon. So I probably get my hands on more of their stuff, more diverse range of stuff from them.
0: Love it. Love it. So let, yeah. let's switch gears uh, while I have you here. Um... You kicked off a Kickstarter project, which I'm going I'm I'm to bring that up too, and it's called Private Bodies, right? A so,
3: little nudity warning here. I know some people are a bit funny about it, so yeah, yeah. I don't know how far you're going to scroll down the page, but you may see some topless people.
0: Okay, so we'll leave it right here just, just to keep it PG-13. <laughs> um, so Private Bodies, an art photography book. Tell, take me through the, the genesis of this book and why you, or this, and, then, and the Kickstarter campaign and why you're doing it.
3: Cool. Well, I'll talk about the concept first then. Something I'm really genuinely passionate and interested in is what sort of trust there exists within society for photographers, how photographers are perceived, and how people relate to having their image taken. It also happens that I love and specialize in nude photography, um, but I've had a couple of different projects over time looking at trust and how people perceive Photographers. Yeah. So, this one is one of the few things that from the first shoot, it was a project that I was setting up. It wasn't just a let's do something organically and then have it go somewhere. You know, I didn't ever think and then I'll put it on Kickstarter because I'm pretty sure I started this project before Kickstarter existed. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, so I've, I still do other projects on the same topic where I approach strangers in the street to ask them, Can I take your portrait to break down those barriers of my own uh nerves about approaching strangers and what will they think if i'm trying to ask you know to take their photo and you know the trust issues that we face as photographers thanks to things like paparazzi these days yeah so this one in particular i've been shooting for about three years and it's basically the concept is it's people nude in their own homes the home is somewhere really private but it's also somewhere pretty safe where pretty much everyone feels comfortable to be nude some of the time, you know? Yeah. So, and the great thing about it is then every shoot was different. Nearly always I'd be walking in saying, hi, Frederick. Nice to meet you. Never met you before. Start chatting, start shooting, never seen the house before. And, you know, we just go from room to room and the shots have to end up different in everyone because everyone's home's different. Every person's different. And we just, we just, chat really organically for an hour and a half or two hours, how long it takes, and that's it. Um, it's almost always they've been shot in the person's own home, but it's, it's generally it's anywhere that's a special place for them. So say one girl flew up, I don't know if you know Australian geography at all, but she flew up from Melbourne to Sydney to be part of the book and she had grown up on a horse farm. So we actually went up to a horse stud up in the mountains and we shot in the stables and in the field with her, I, I know this may sound a little bit creepy to people, but nude with horses, and it was just beautiful. She, it's nice. lovely to see that nice. kind of thing.
0: Now, uh, talk to me a little bit about how. Well, first of all, so the the models that are so she flew up. Did you fly her
3: up, or is this a volunteer effort? Are you paying these yeah. people? How does it work? Everyone who's in the book, no, no one's been paid. They all. There are some people who. So really, there's a whole dichotomy of people there. My goal was to have as broad a cross-section as possible. The reality of it is it tends to be younger, fitter, more confident people who, you know, there's quite a few dancers in there and stuff where the the thought process they've told me they have is, you know, I'm in the best condition of my life. I want to, you know, get involved in a project like this whilst I'm looking so great so I can look back on it in 50 years and think, you know, That was me when I was 25 or whatever. Mm -hmm. But most of the people were, there may have been one or two who have done quite a few nude shoots, but most had never done one before. And they range from doctors and lawyers to students, to parents, to a woman who was eight and a half months pregnant with her husband in their home. Um, And, Every time, it's so, different. But so no, you said, you
0: no, said no people, right? So this is, this, is, this is not just women. Not just, nope. this, this is not glamour photography, right? This is, not at all. This is real sort of um, environmental type photography,
3: correct? Yeah. So I call it uh, intimate portraiture. Basically, it's, it's a portrait that should work on its own. As you say, it's environmental because it is in their own space. Mm-hmm. But it's not, for me anyway, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. I think there's a place for everything. I really do but the the breasts or the private parts or the bum aren't the focus of the shot in my work it's it should be an image that works by itself and there's nudity which I personally don't find offensive I find it if it's done tastefully really beautiful but it, there are some variations so generally it would be us chatting you know just like we are right now except we'd be in the same room and you'd have your clothes off yeah. we just chat and get to know each other and really it you'd be surprised there hasn't been a single shoot that where there was an uncomfortable vibe, even for people who I met for the very first time, they'd never had a photo shoot at all. Some were totally camera shy. You just break that down by actually being there with them and really connecting with someone and not just making small talk whilst you're thinking about your settings, actually, you know, having a proper conversation with someone. And it's a really, really nice thing. So, um, but that said, there were times where of course, we can't just keep chatting the whole time. Cause then every shot, someone's going to have their mouth open talking right. when I go to take the right. photo and there'll be things like, okay, the light's not quite working. Let's move the curtain or can you sit on that side of the bed instead? Or can you move your hair behind your shoulder just to make the shot work? But it's not really heavily posed stuff. Um, but there are also some shots in there which are just bodyscape. So, you know, I shot a bunch of dancers who just have amazing physique. So it's like, well, you're laying there on your side on the bed and I can see all of these amazing curves through your hip. Of course, I want to shoot that as well. Right. So it's a, it's quite a mix, but for me, the test of what shots go into the book, are well, what I think is a beautiful shot full stop, but also a shot that they will love and shots that if their friends see it, will think, yeah, that's Frederick, or as a shot, you've got up there, that's Steenie. Um, you know one where you know we all have our bullshit smile you know where mm-hmm. actually you're uncomfortable but you're smiling anyway yep. so i want it to be shots where when they look at it they say yeah that's that's me in my own home comfortable and having fun not posing awkwardly for the camera
0: now how do you how do you safeguard against or how do you combat the idea of okay this is just a creepy guy that wants to take nude pictures of people because a lot of a lot of photographers are that, right? Which would, which, yeah. which sully the waters for real photographers like yourself. So the photographers are just like, you know, what, Hey, I, I just want to take pictures of nude women. I'm going to get on model mayhem and say that I want to, you know, do some nudes and I get to see naked women and take pictures of them and enjoy the photos later, you know? So those photographers that are out there by the legions, we call them GWCs or guy, just yeah. random guy with camera. Right. So the perception would be, okay, you know, the, and rightly so women, you know, would say, okay, let me keep my guard up and, and assume that assume the worst that Matt is just one of those guys. How do you get past that and say, Hey, I am a real photographer. This is not an infarious, you know, technique to get you out of your clothes.
3: How do you do that? Well, to be honest, that's part of the process for me of the, well, that's part of the process and the point that, I want to look at that and so taking a step back for a second. I really think like 50, 60, 80 years ago, if somebody wanted to take your photo, you'd be so flattered because it just wasn't an everyday thing. Yeah. And now in the age of digital manipulation and bottom feeders, taking shots up people's skirts and putting it on the front page of magazines and stuff. Of course we've, we as a collective have lost a lot of that trust and everyone has a camera There is creeps out. There are creeps out there. Sorry, poor English. Um, So, yeah, that is something to deal with. But in terms of how do I get past it, well, I have a body of work, and I'm always 100% clear up front. This is if you dig the project and you want to look at, you know, be involved in something that's looking at trust and people's issues towards their body and this and that, um, and that it's in your home and it's this is, you know, it's going to take an hour and a half or two hours. I'm going to shoot at your home. You can have your whole family there if you want. That's mm-hmm. it. I guess that's the biggest indicator. If it's a creep, they're not going to want you to have people there. I yeah. don't really set any rules. Um, and I never ask to see what someone looks like before I accept them into the project. So that's another thing. And I'd be just as happy for you to pose for me as you know, uh, a model-looking woman. Yeah, That's not yeah, what yeah. it's about. The, I have to be honest. The reality is if you look at the shots in the book, they're not the kind of people you just walk past on the street as a typical cross section, but that's the result of who put their hand up, not who I said yes to. Okay. Um, so was- as a,
0: as a result of people being probably more comfortable with their bodies and being photographed, knew that that resulted in those people wanting to be photographed and that's who made it into the book, right?
3: Yeah. But again, it's, it's still, it's more complicated than that. So people who, they, of course I had people getting in touch saying, "Oh, I want to be published. I want to get out there. I'm trying to become a glamor model or something, so I want to be involved in this." And I'm really comfortable. But to be honest, they were the ones generally, as a general. this isn't 100% true across everyone, but who had the most uh, conditions and had the most, you know, restrictions and wanted to do the the boobs out, posing and all of this nonsense, which is just not what it's about. Yeah. And it was people who as a, again, as a big generalisation, who look a bit more every day like you and me, who were actually comfortable with their bodies, and there was none of that. And for me, a lot of the most beautiful shots in the book are just, you know, people with a bit of a spare tyre and a wonderful smile and comfortable with themselves and their environment.
0: That's great. And then, um, what what are they doing with the shots? So I, I assume that you. Or this is is this a wrong assumption that after the shoot's over, you give them the shots as well? Or And then yeah. what do they do with those shots?
3: Uh, well, that's up to them. Some, if they are, you know, looking to build a portfolio, then they can use them in that. Some would have, I'm sure, gone and made some prints for themselves. For a lot of the people, I really think it was, uh, you know, a process for themselves to overcome some barrier that they had or some... Lack of confidence that they had. Mm -hmm. I had people after a shoot saying, I was terrified before you arrived, and you know, I'm shy about my my body, and even with my partner, sometimes I'm a bit reserved. But now that I've done it, I feel so liberated and I want to shoot again. And then I contact people three months later to give them an update on what's happening with the book, and they say, You know, since I did that, I've posed for three more photographers, and you know, I'm so liberated now, and it's it's a great thing. But yeah, so how it works is. No one at all has been paid to be in the book because, like I say, it's a cross-section. I want them to dig the project. I don't want it to look like Ralph Magazine or FHM. I want it to be people who are really interested in the project. Um, They varied from like 45 minutes. A couple of times someone was in town and really wanted to shoot, or I was in their town and they really wanted to shoot, but for whatever reason we couldn't shoot at their house. It might have been a long way away, or they lived with really conservative parents or a share house. So then we've actually shot in a hotel room, which is not ideal, but still, you know, it kind of works. Yeah. Um, and I don't know the exact breakdown of how many men and women and the ages and ethnicities and all of that kind of thing, but it's a cross section. I'd say that. Um, so what what the will Christian the final was- <laughs> what
0: will the final book look like? I mean, what's what's the is it a it's a coffee table book or to, what's the what's yeah. the final product?
3: It'll be. Portrait orientation, uh, quite a big one, like this big, like bigger than A4. Hardcover, 200 pages thereabouts, a little bit over probably. Um, an old school photo book, you know. It's uh, not, you know, not like the sort of one that you take to your lab and get made for, from, you know, for your travel shots or whatever. Uh, a properly printed, beautifully laid out one. Um, there will be a little bit of text at the front. I've got a buddy who's an author in Sydney who's writing a foreword on the concept and all of that kind of thing. And I'll have a little blurb as well. But the bulk of it is going to be full-on images, you know, like full page or a couple of images to a page, see how it works in layout. And I'll be grouping them together by subject. So you'll go through and, for example, on screen there is Orlando. So there'd be a bunch of different shots that I shot with him. And that's yeah. the other cool thing about it. it. That one reminds me actually how it worked in terms of getting models. It was so organic. So I shot Orlando's cousin and his girlfriend, and then they referred Orlando that he would probably love to do it as well. So it went through little groups of friends like that. I went through a phase where I shot a whole bunch of dancers and I shot a whole bunch of lawyers and, people who had tattoos or into certain subcultures, but were really interested in the project and, you know, I'd shoot and shoot and shoot. And then that pool would kind of dry up and then I would, you know, start shooting with someone else and they'd refer a friend and it just happened like that. And there it goes. So
0: I'm looking, I'm looking at the Kickstarter page now and you're at 387 backers um, and you, you're at twenty five thousand three hundred eighty two dollars pledged of a thirty thousand dollar goal with six days to go. So how is that good? That I think that's fantastic. I mean, for <laughs> for you know forty seven hundred dollars roughly in in six days. I think I think you can do that. I think if the Twip listeners pitch in and
3: head over to this page and and help Matt get to this goal, we'll we'll get there, right? Well, thank you. I appreciate the plug, and I really hope so. And I know there's still people who uh, up in the air about it, that kind of thing, or you know, everyone leaves things to the last moment. But I'm so keen to get this up, not because, like I said, oh, actually I didn't say this, I've said this in uh, when I started advertising the project, that budget we're aiming at, that's not like a slush fund for me to go on holidays. Printing books costs a lot, man. Yeah. And yeah. I live in Australia, which is in the middle of bloody nowhere, so shipping a one-and-a-half or two-kilo, so five-pound book around the world costs a fortune. So that's to cover all of the print and layout and the photographic prints that are also up on offer. And we've got paintings from some of the shots in the book. And, you know, I really want to get it out there. I approached all of these people or the kind of the the agreement we had, at least in, you know, uh, if not on paper, in principle was that this is to make a high quality art publication that you can look back on in future So I really want to deliver on that for people. There's some of the people who I've shot who've been checking in every month for two years to say, how's it all going? Is it still going forward? I really want to get this done. Um, For some people it was, I don't know, it may have just been a little blip on the radar. Other times you don't know really how they felt about it. They seemed comfortable, um, but there wasn't a lot of feedback. Then I hear back from the months later saying, you know, I just was looking back over the photos, and it was so such a great experience, or whatever. So, yeah, I really hope it comes off because I want this to get out there.
0: Well, cool. Well, we'll definitely check back in with you in six days from now. I'll be looking, I'll press reload on the page and see see where you are. Hope you, hopefully, you don't just make it to twenty nine nine hundred ninety seven dollars. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'll have to create a fake account and um, throw in the last, of my <laughs> Put in the last
0: last couple <laughs> of bucks. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. But, so, um, any? Yeah. Yeah, any? No, I was gonna say. So, you know, closing it off here. Where, it, you know, there's a Kickstarter page which will I'll link to in the in the YouTube video and on the blog post for this episode. Um, but where where would you like people to go to like keep up with you? Is it just Nikon guy dot com or any other places?
3: Ah uh, well, yeah, that that's the homepage really, where I filter a lot of things through, and there's a community forum there where people are all interacting with each other, which is really cool. It's actually, you know, the internet can be so bitchy and full of angry nerds, especially
0: but, um, the YouTube community. I don't know.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I li- that's 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 where I live. <laughs> um, yes, but the word the not, word vitriol comes to mind. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> But thankfully, on the community forum, it's really not like that. I've never seen someone get, you know, ask a question and be like, oh, what a stupid noob question. I can't believe you don't know the answer to that. There's none of that crap going on. They quickly get weeded out. So that's really nice. And yeah, and the YouTube channels. So I still put out a whole bunch of videos each week on shooting and, you know, my travels. And lately, a lot of travel vlogs as I'm traveling around doing different workshops and that kind of thing. I've Got to travel to a lot of cool places lately, so I put out a fair bit of content on that as well. Very cool.
0: Well, before we go, tell me a little bit about those workshops. Are those? Are you putting those together yourself? Are you going, is a company putting them on and just sort of slotting you in as talent? How, do, how does that work?
3: Um, I'm looking at you know, potentially doing collaborations in the future, but at the moment, no, it's all mine. You know my my workshop. I design them from the ground up, and nice. there's a lot of work involved. Man, it's. Uh, I mean, I love it. I, I often say on the channel, if people saw the reality of my day job, they may not actually be envious of me, but <laughs> I still am very thankful for the life I lead. So no complaints. But um, it you know designing say my my main workshop is the Take Control of the Light workshop. it's two and a half days, and it was weeks, months of work to put it together and structure it and I'm traveling with a hundred pounds of equipment um, to run the workshops: light stands, pocket wizards, flashes, all the modifiers. Yeah. Um, then we get in a whole bunch of models and just timing it out so it makes sense. Takes time, you know. I did yeah. practice runs with people to make sure is this flowing logically, and you know, you still make tweaks. You realize actually that would work if I brought it in earlier. Um, so that's that's a great one. That one we do up to. 12 people is the maximum class size, and we get up to four models at a time in to shoot with. Nice. Um, and that's just all about the light. So how it works, all of its variables, how you can control it modify it and to get the results you want, rather than, as I say, just using your camera as a photocopier, actually going out there and creating something. Um, and then the yeah. other one is the style of photography that I do in private bodies, which is intimate nude portraiture workshops. So we get in a professional new model, and that's a four-hour workshop looking at how you can create all those different kinds of images, how you can reveal and conceal with posing and lighting, and all of those things. And, and what, what are we looking at
0: for people? What, what are we looking at price-wise for both of these workshops?
3: Uh, the take control of the light is eight hundred for two and a half days, and that mm-hmm. always goes up with an early bird discount of ten percent for the first. However long it's up, normally until a month before, mm-hmm. and then the, the intimate portraiture is four ninety five. That one's limited to four students per model max. Okay, perfect.
0: Yeah, well, cool. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you taking the time. I know we had a little, we had some hiccups trying to get this thing going at the beginning, but I think this turned yeah. out to be a fantastic interview. It was perfect. Thank you. Oh, lovely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Okay, and I hope I can twist your arm sometime within your busy schedule to come on This Week in Photo as the co-host to help me fight the good fight for, you know, <laughs> for Nikon. Not that, you know, you know, not that who cares about the gear, but, you know, I seem to be constantly outnumbered on my show, but that's okay. Well,
3: happy to give you reinforcement in that regard, but a topic I'm more passionate about is how we view photography as whether it's an art or a creative thing or a technical thing. So we'd love to come on and chat more about that. Sometimes. Perfect. And that's what we do. That's perfect.
0: Okay. Well, you have a, you have a good trip and uh, make sure you, okay. you know, guard against the, the, the evil things in your two-star hotel there and, <laughs> and, and have have a good trip back home. And, and once again, congratulations it's going to be a successful Kickstarter campaign.
3: Thank you so much. Really nice to speak to you, okay. Frederick. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: All right. That was Mr. Matt Granger. Once again, you can find him and the, all of the projects that he's working on over at ThatNikonGuy.com. And once again, thanks for listening to this episode of This Week in Photo. See you next week.